Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Hey everybody and welcome to Comics Monthly Monday here on Two True Freaks. My name is Michael Bailey and I am joined as usual by my best friends in the entire world. Wait, is that is that right? Yeah, I'm consulting the script. Yeah, that's what you Why, guys do you got say. better friends in other worlds <laughs> besides us, Mike? I got my best huh? friends... Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Hello. Hi. We are also joined. <laughs> this, we are also joined this evening by special guest star Paul Spataro. Hello. Who, I don't have a funny voice. Sorry. Whose dulcet tones have <laughs> not from where I'm sitting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it all depends on what part of the country listen, you're listen in right georgia now. don't talk about dulcet tones don't talk about accents in georgia man I, i've lived in georgia for almost 16 years i do not have an accent so what, what are you talking about you're the one that said i sound like scott so. no neither but well both of you are transplants basically uh-huh. this is true and then scott moved down to the the home of disney and serial killers florida so <laughs> and old people <laughs> lots and lots of old yes. people. How's everyone doing tonight? Awesome. Doing great. It's been a while since we've done this because last month uh, was Return of the Jedi month, which. Uh, yes. Damn. I, I was listening to that. I was well, like, wow, it, I was there for a lot of that, wasn't I? Well, at le- yeah, I was just going to say, at least we at least we got you on in, in that month, at least just because we didn't do comics monthly Monday. We didn't, you know, jettison Michael Bailey for the month. Well, I feel like we did, because uh, that week uh, you guys released the Return of the Jedi comic talk, so it was kind of like Comics Monthly Monday, just that's not true. a traditional episode, so that's that true. have a traditional episode. Whatever that is, yeah, really. <laughs> we, you can tell that we're out of practice already. I mean, here, here we skip one month and, and we're out of practice, because <laughs> just as we were about to get into this, we were like... Uh, Hey, did anybody read A Walking Dead for this episode? <laughs> we were like, uh... I thought you were going to say, we didn't talk about food yet. <laughs> no, no. I, I I ate before the show, so I'm not hungry. So it's not going to be one of those shows where I'm like... Got, oh, I got some Diet I, A&W root beer with me right now. So. Yeah, nothing exciting. This, this we ate at the... Checkers tonight. Do you guys have that down by you? No, it sounds intriguing, though. They have the driest burgers on the face of the planet. <laughs> yes, but they make the one thing they make that other places don't is they have a banana milkshake, which is actually pretty cool. Wow, that does sound good. 
they used to have what they called apple nuggets, which I really liked, which were like little chicken nuggets, except with instead of chicken, it's it's breaded apples. Yeah, it was fried. Yeah, yeah, fruit that they have stripped of all nutritional value and turned it into a snack. Yeah, but damn, it was good. Yeah, well, hell yeah. Oh, there, there was no nutritional value in the meal tonight. I can guarantee you. That. <laughs> and it's churning away in my stomach right now. Oh my god! Oh, we just need the hair metal hero here. It would be awesome. We could. It's good. almost like we have him here though with Paul's accent. Now there's you know, there's fine difference between Boston and New York City though. Okay. We, Maybe we're gonna not get to Comic Con a little later, but when we were at when I was at Comic Con, I was talking to somebody who told me I had a Dan DiDio sound to my voice. Yes. Dan DiDio. I, I, I don't hear it, but uh, hi everybody. That's what I was How you doing tonight? My name is Dan DiDio. I'm here to tell you all about what's going on at DC Comics right now. It's no, you a got exciting time for DC. You got you got a negotiating voice. That's what I was, you know. It's like it's like Boston and New York City. They're more sort of like the like an oboe or something. Where Scott and Mike, they're used to, they're used to listening to banjos all day, you know. You know. Hey Scott, did did you like my Didio impersonation there? I did. That was pretty spot on, actually. You just I don't know what you kids are talking about. Uh, Dan DiDio, the current uh, co-publisher of DC Comics, DC, yeah. he uh, he usually hosts or, or moderates a lot of the DC panels, and he's in all of the special features on the animated movies, and he's got a very specific way of talking, mm-hmm. and he'll sit there, and he'll lay everything out for you, and then he'll kind of laugh a little, which I can't do the laugh all that much, but uh, he'll say things, and then you'll realize... That made absolutely no sense. <laughs> but it sounded great, yeah. You know, he's also usually very, very upbeat when he talks. There, there Everything's was a, great. In the Crisis on Two Earths uh, dual disc set, they had um, they had the it was a thing on the new DC Comics, and he's sitting there talking about how he came to work for DC right after 9/11. And he'd be at the Port Authority, and he'd see the cops with the machine guns. And he said, you know, very reassuring, but also, you know, there's a different level to it. Because, you know, they're there, and they're waiting. And that was the entire mood of New York City. So then we thought we'd bring that to DC Comics. And he kind of laughed a little, like... Wow, I actually just said that out loud. That I saw cops with machine guns and thought, wow, let's bring that to Superman. Because that's <laughs> really that what Superman needs. <laughs> so. But Dan, Paul's right. He is upbeat. He is a good salesman. Because he will sit there and he'll make you think. You know, it's like, it's like I said, as long as you don't think about it all that much, it sounds great. <laughs> Yeah, I can't, I can't give you a specific, specific example, but there were times he'd be talking about something, and I'd think, oh, i got to pick that up. And I'd pick it up, and I would read it and think, what a piece of crap. But <laughs> when he talked about it, it sounded great. you got to be a set with that job. It's, 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 it's Barnum, you know? It's P.T. Barnum. It's 90% salesmanship, huckster, mm-hmm. you know, well, he- the value. Can you, you know, sell it, selling it, you know, hyping it and selling it? Well, He's the closest thing to Stan Lee they've ever had. Yeah, I was about to say, and he is much better in public than Joe Quesada ever was. Because Quesada sucked as a well, spokesman for the company. Quesada gets angry. 
when you criticize or when people yeah. criticize. And, and, and that's, the deal you just can't do that. smile at you. <laughs> Well, that's yeah, the like, thing is you gotta just let it roll off your back and be like, "Hey, whatever you say." But you know, if you, if hey, if you want to sit there and diss the most kick-ass comic in the world, hey, that's your American right. Go. I hate you know, that expression, Brett. By the way, can I just say that that Which the one? Whole, the roll let just let it roll off your back thing. I had this guy saying that to me at work the other day. You know, he was kind of like, "Hey, you can't you can't let it bother you, man. You just gotta let it roll off your back." And I'm thinking, yeah, you, you, while, while he's saying this, I'm already six steps into my revenge plan. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> why, why are you why are you even trying with me? You know? What's funny is I I worked with a kid who was autistic, who was a dishwasher, and he was getting in an argument with this other kid and. The, the kid was a waiter and the other kid called him gay and he's like why are you calling me gay blah 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 don't call me gay and the the waiter guy who called him gay goes out and, and the, another guy who's working with me is a little bit older says look don't let it bother you don't take it personally he's just trying to get you wound up you know you just gotta let it roll off your back like water off a duck's back and then he's like what are you calling me a duck what do you mean by that I'm a duck <laughs> No, it's an expression, man. <laughs> Obviously, nobody should talk to you right now. So, yeah. <laughs> I hate that expression, too. I hate most of those expressions because they, like, they seem to cover everything, but they really don't really apply to anything. As long as we get into this and not talking comics, the one I hate is when people do something really stupid. And when you call mm-hmm. them on it, they say, well, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew it. I heard, <laughs> I heard that coming. Yeah, it, it is what it is. They're, it's basically saying, I'm stupid. I, to me, it's saying, <laughs> what I hear is, I'm stupid. Yes, it's true. What am I going to do? I'm a moron. There's nothing you or I can do about it. Yeah, I've always it's something with my brain. That's what I hear when someone goes, it is what it is. You know, if they'd you know. say that instead, I'd be much happier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, uh, I consider it is what it is when you've just given up on something. Like, right. they, 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 It's just like, wow, my car just got total. Well, it what, is what, what it is. There's really nothing you can do about it's it. It's a way to slough, slough off a bad situation. It's, you know, like Aunt Betty just got run over in front of the house and it's, you know... <laughs> And and you want to go there, and you you know the, the 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 her her sister watched it happen, and you go to her and say, "I'm really sorry that you had to watch Aunt Betty get mushed in front of your house." Well, you know it is what it is, and then you can go and have hot dogs and you know with the family and stuff, and Ooh, not Kelly, not talk nice. about it in 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 too much much debt. It's just and but it's yeah, it's annoying because it's one of those catchphrases. It's really caught on to the point of where people overuse it to the point where it's even meaningless, you know, where they don't even use it in the right context. If there is even a right context for such an inane, um, yes. Yes, I think we stumbled on a common peeve here. (laughs) What it means to me is, you know, I just had a legitimate complaint, but, you Mm. you know, you're going to respond it is what it is so that you can just ignore my complaint and get on to what you feel like (laughs) talking about. (laughs) You work retail. (laughs) <laughs> I, do, I don't, but I do have customers slash clients that I deal with, so <laughs> I do know what it's like to deal with people in the public. Yesterday, I found out that Les Daniels died. Oh, that, I know. Um, I read your uh, Facebook post about that. I was like, no way. I didn't realize he was that old. I always thought he was a young guy. No, uh, Les Daniels, uh, for those who, who uh, are listening that don't know who he is, uh, wrote one of the earliest books on the history and sociological impact of comics. 
Uh, back in 71, it was called Comics, A History of the Comic Book in America. Mm-hmm. And like most books on comics in that in the 60s and 70s, it actually had reprints in the middle of it. And Boo agrees with yes. me. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Whatever. Uh, it also Blame it had, on the dog all you want, man. It, it also... <laughs> I have a feeling even if you put the dog down, we'd still be hearing some snoring, if you know what I'm saying. It also had a reprint of the very first version of the comics code in it. Uh, which oh. was kind of interesting to read. But he, he in 91, they released Marvel Five Fabulous Decades of the World's Greatest Comics. I got that for Christmas that year. And it's a very... It's, it's like a textbook on the history of Marvel Comics up until 91. And it... It has some inaccuracies, but those are inaccuracies that have been proven later. They were accepted as fact at the time. In 95, he wrote DC, 60 Years of the World's uh, Favorite Comic Book Heroes, I think it was called. Uh, that's a book that's near and dear to Scott's heart. Yeah. Because the uh, Jonah Hex chapter. Yeah. My uh, my parents actually bought me that book a while back. You know, my, my, my parents, God bless them, and I hope they never, ever hear this episode. God bless them, you know, the, the older they get, you know, the, the, the more, you know, far afield they get from what an actual, like, request was for, like, a Christmas or a birthday present, you know, to the point where I've just given up. You know, because, you know, they're, they're the kind of people that will ask, you know, what do you want for your birthday or what do you want for Christmas? And, you know, you give them a list right down to like the ISBN number and shit. And then you still get something <laughs> that doesn't even remotely resemble what the hell it yes. was that you asked for. You know, it starts with the same letter or something. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but they actually bought me that for, I don't know, some gift giving occasion. I was so excited you, you, about you it. You like stuff that starts with the letter B, right? <laughs> so I seem I t- to remember that. So I tore into that book, and uh, and strangely, one of the the chapters that that really appealed to me the most was was a chapter on just kind of like oddball comics, and it was in that chapter where there was uh, a picture of Jonah Hex um, from the Jonah Hex Spectacular, which is the story where Jonah dies. And there was something about the way he told the story of that issue, you know, coupled with the picture and, and you know, his notes on the illustration or anything that kind of whet my appetite for wanting to really seek that out and see what that story was all about. And that was kind of my, you know, the beginnings of my interest and in, in fascination with the character. So, yeah, it, I feel like I owe a, a you know a, a great debt to uh, for Les Dan, you know, to Les Daniels for turning me on to that character. Was that the story? Was that the story where he ends up stuffed in somebody's? Yes. House? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the picture that's in the in that book is where it shows the the stuffed like on display Jonah, you know, when the guy had actually uh, taken him and stuffed him and dressed him up in very much like a like a Wild West show outfit type of thing. And uh, and I was just fascinated by it. I was like, oh, I wonder what the you know what the whole story is with this. I've got to read that. So I sought it out and. And that was that. I got, I got hooked on the character. You know, <laughs> I mean, how often does somebody get hooked on a character from the story where the character dies? You know, but that was the story that hooked well, me. Well, that's a so. pretty dramatic. Yeah, that would be a pretty dramatic chapter in the life. So, yeah, it seems like it could be. Yeah. yeah. But, you can uh, only go from, you can only go backwards from there. So. Right, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I guess when you have a character that's in the 1800s, you know, you, it's okay to have the, the fact that he dies being known. You know, it's not like a current guy. Right. You know, Speaking where, you know, you don't want to say when he's going to die because then who knows? You might still be publishing him at that point. <laughs> right. Speaking of dead, don't you hate it when you wake up in the morning dead? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Andy that's Rooney it. passed away too. Yes. Isn't that sad? I like it's it. Sad. It's sad. I think it's but sad it's, that I don't it, give worked, a crap. It worked uh, out. I made it to oh, 92. Wow. I liked Andy Rooney, but it worked out perfectly because, yeah, he, he made it to 92 and he basically never stopped. He went into semi-retirement, but I think that's because he knew he was going to kick off and, and he timed it perfectly. So hats off, hats off to you, dead Andy Rooney. See, I was thinking about that the other day, right when he died, how much it reminded me of when um, Charles Schultz died. You know, he retired and then, like, died, what was it, like, the next day or something? Something like that, yeah. And, you know, rather than finding that very sweet or whatever, I actually found it kind of scary. It was like, damn, now I can never stop doing these friggin' podcasts because that means I'll croak within, like, the month, doesn't it? So. No, it? no, it's like the picture of Dorian Gray. You just do podcasts till you feel, till you're, till you're ready to slip off into the afterlife, <laughs> and then you go, I'm going into semi-retirement, yeah, a- eh. Are you suggesting that there's like an MP3 of us getting uh, older or so, hidden somewhere? In that that would be a great show. We should do a Comics Monthly Monday from the future. <laughs> That's not a bad idea, actually. Yeah, I think I'm busy that day. <laughs> there were, uh, there Everybody were... who can't make it will be dead. That's just how we'll count that, you know. <laughs> No, I'm it's not too doing bad. that. Paul Spataro can't be here. No, because freaking John Belushi did that. Oh, yeah. That was a that, great skit. The skit where he was old and everyone else was dead and he was the first one to freaking and he, go. And he, and he danced on their graves. graves. Yeah. So. But he yeah. also was doing lots of coke and alcohol and every kind well, of drug, too. So that in, that definitely increased his chances of death. <laughs> It's, it wasn't just fate going, oh, ho, ho, funny joke, John Belushi. Here, I'm going to randomly kill you. <laughs> it, was, it was the speedball that he did that, that, that got him. So I would say mock all you want, but stay away from speedballs. That's what I would say. And, and chew your yeah. food really well before you swallow it, and you'll be fine. And God can't get you back for tasteless jokes. The three other books that Daniels wrote in 98, 99, and 2000 were... Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, The Complete History. Mm-hmm. And uh, all three are well worth owning. Uh, I call them the quote-unquote complete history because you can't cram all of the history of the character in the space that they, uh, that they provide. But the, the one that was most fascinating to me was the Wonder Woman one because I had no idea of any of her history in the comics or out. And learning about the history of William Moulton Marsden, her creator, and the messed up life he led of having a wife and his girlfriend and kids with both, and they all lived together, and at one point living with, like, his parents. And it's just like, wow, that was, like, in the 30s. That must have been, like, the biggest scandal ever. 
Because, you know, that, that stuff's weird now. I mean, we've got a TV show, Sister Wives or whatever it's called, and everyone's saying that's weird. And that's in this era where you could do like a speedball on Kim Kardashian's show and they'll just go, oh, that's just to get ratings. I mean, uh, we have a sister. What? <laughs> the, there's a sister brother husband show now on TV? Sister Wives. There, It's a polygamist. Oh, okay. I thought it was like, you know, inbred hillbillies or something. Sister, you know, brother cousin no, show. No, I can just drive about 10 minutes. I can just drive about 10 miles south and see that. <laughs> yeah, that's just it. Yeah. It's how far away is that reality show? Uh, I think that's out in like Utah. <laughs> Surprisingly. Yeah. Well, well, that I mean, they had that one sh- that fictional show about the they weren't Mormons, but it was basically the Mormons. I can't remember the name Big of it. Love. Big Love. Big Love, yeah. Bill so Paxton. Bill Paxton. That so, pissed yeah. off the Mormons, by the way. So reality show is... I don't think that's still on the air, but it was a big hit, and I think... So that would definitely... You know, there had to have been a ton of Mormon extended families rushing for optioning out their reality show rights at that point. Everybody's optioning. We should be optioning out our reality show rights. There should be a camera in each of our houses right now filming us talking. Yeah, that would be exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would. I'm sure everybody wants to see, <laughs> see me sitting here in a chair. I, I've, well, I'm I've, not. Got a, I've got a face for radio, Chris. So, <laughs> but let's remember this at all times. <laughs> Are any of you guys watching uh, Young Justice? Yes, I caught last week's episode and it was freaking awesome. Which one was that? Because I don't know if I if I've made Failed it. Fail safe, it. the one where no, I haven't made it that far yet. Oh, dude, everyone dies. Awesome, literally. Well, get either. It starts off with John Stewart and Hal Jordan getting vaporized by these aliens, and uh, I haven't watched a whole lot of it because I'm usually podcasting Friday nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I'm just not home because I'm at work, but I have to pick up the DVDs because this show is a worthy successor to Justice League and Justice League yeah, Unlimited. Absolutely, yeah. I remember when it came out, when it was brand new and coming out, and I, I wanted to watch it then. And for some reason, I just you know I got busy and just wasn't uh, keeping up with it. But there's been so much talk about it on Facebook and stuff lately. I was finally like, all right, I got to check this out. And then somebody posted a picture, you know, like a screen capture from one of the episodes where Captain Marvel was in it. And I was like, all right, that's it. Oh, that's that's all I that's, needed right there. It's done and done right there for you. Yeah, <laughs> yep. for sure. And uh, yeah, the, the animation style is really clean. It uh, is. I really like that. Yeah. It's, it's a Crisis on Two Earths animation style. Yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. Me and one of my buddies, the big debate is that or Earth's Mightiest Heroes. But as far as animation style, Young Justice has it hands down. Yeah. But uh, and, I, uh, I also enjoy Earth's Mightiest Heroes a lot. I think that's that had some real cool story arcs as it went on. I've got to watch that. Is that still coming out? Uh, the, 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 I don't know if it's the, the second, second half of the first done. season or if it's the second season. But it's, it's, it's off right now. But they finished off with a cliffhanger, too, which is cool. I'm going to have to uh, catch up on that one as well because I've heard nothing but good things about that. And uh, I just got behind on all my television. I really don't watch much television at all right now. And uh, I'm watching a lot now lately. I've got really? a whole. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm like 
like current stuff the the only current sh- like that are running right now is i i got like three shows to catch up on clone wars to be on the on the new season of clone wars it's got to be close to darth maul showing up again and uh walking dead of course mm-hmm. you know is up to like at the time of this recording it's what the like the fourth episode of the second season so i'm watching that week to week and i'm catching up i'm on the final the latest season of breaking bad but that's on break right now but i'm almost caught up with that so and i've still i've got to watch i like the i like that dexter show there's a new season of that that i haven't started watching yet and um oh what else there's there's got to be at least one other one other thing that that I'm not watching that I should be watching. Yeah, Dexter, just uh, from the plug side, uh, one of one of my very good friends from high school is the uh, cinematographer on Dexter and has directed three episodes now. So, oh, really? Get everybody you know to watch that. It's a very good show. He's doing yeah, a oh, great cool. job. I haven't. There hasn't been a clunker on it. So he's yeah. That's a that's a nice one to have under under your belt there. Yeah, that's, me, that's me, and, really cool. me and my buddy, uh, back, way back when, when video cameras first came out, we, we got a hold of one. We were making all sorts of movies. We took uh, film classes together in college. He's doing that, and uh, I'm podcasting with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm I, watching uh, Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> wow, screw you too, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> no, no offense, man. <laughs> well, but yeah. I would rather be directing a TV show. <laughs> oh, well, wouldn't we all? Uh, unless it's like, I don't know, I don't. I don't think I'd want to direct anything involving the Big Bang Theory. But, uh, but you know, if it paid, you know, I'm I'm always up for money. I am a whore, so uh, I was very shocked uh, because I was on vacation last week and actually got to sit down and watch TV. After Young Justice, they had an episode of Batman: The Brave and the Bold, and it was a uh, it was four short stories, and the first one had Adam Strange. The second one had The Flash. And the third one? I don't know who was a fan of this character, but they pulled Amazing Man out. <laughs> and Scott would have sh- been up for that, yeah, right? I might have to actually watch that now. I Well, if, if you like the concept of Amazing Man being Jerry Lewis in a Jerry Lewis film, then, oh, you, no. then you would like it. Uh, they play it very much for laughs. Uh, it's him taking care of a cat. And screwing up royally, and talking kind of like Jerry Lewis, so with the Glavin and all that, yeah, almost. It's like he, it's like he's halfway there. Um, so I just want to warn you about that, Scott, because I was excited, and then I was like, "Wow, this doesn't really seem to be like the comic book at all." It's not my amazing man. I got to catch up with Doctor Who too. I haven't watched any of the new season of Doctor Who. That's another one that that I'm slacking on that I plan on watching. Yeah. I'm sort of waiting for Scott to be all caught up so we can watch all the Doctor uh, Who I was just gonna show say on I, it together. I, yeah, I need to get caught up on. <laughs> wow, that. I am the only one not watching Doctor Who now. <laughs> well, I'm it's, with good. it's good. I, it's I good. It's good. Whatever reason, I could never get into that show. I, I tried. I can't. I used to like it. I was like a Tom Baker, and that was the only Doctor Who I really liked. But these, the the whoever that I've watched just the first season of the new Doctor, and I enjoyed the hell out of it. It was very, very well written. There's a there's a you know, I mean, in this day and age, the production value is a lot better 
and you know the story it also it seems to have you know more thought put into I watched some of the the earlier seasons with some of the new doctors and some of them were really like I just couldn't get into it because it had really cheesy 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 moments of over the top pandery moments and this these new ones don't they have a sort of serious undertone to them that's really really neat I, I couldn't I can't recommend them enough yeah it's great Scott's family's getting hooked on Doctor Who and The Walking Dead your wife watches both of those does it doesn't yeah. she yeah she does she's actually uh, all caught up on uh, on Doctor Who she was kind of Doctor Who the inspiration for me to to want to get into it because you know can't get her to sit and watch a Star Trek but then here she's getting into Doctor Who and I was like what the hell so started watching it kind of over her shoulder I'm way behind though I I'm still like in the middle of, of the prior season and everything but that show has to me has two big things going for it which uh, the the main one is the music in it is just incredible I mean it's mm-hmm. it's really cinematic rich and scored and, and yeah. yeah very cinematic so I really like the music in it um, but then also his new companion um, Amy is her name Amy I think yes. that's her name. She's just a doll. So I could I could just turn the sound off and watch that show because she's just gorgeous. Let's not but. talk about Scott turning off the sound <laughs> and watching Amy on Doctor Who. Let's leave it at that. But uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I've been enjoying the stories <laughs> and everything. You know, the one with the with the angels was pretty cool and all that. So yeah, I, I just need to get caught up. Do so. you turn the sound off and go, "Hi, Amy." Hi, Scott. <laughs> you sure are cute. <laughs> I think you're cute, too. Let's take off all our clothes. That's a good idea, Amy. I know. I just came up with it. Oh, you know is me that too what happens? well. Yeah, that's what happens, isn't it? I've got your room bugged anyway. <laughs> was uh, w- was Winston Churchill big on that show? At some yeah, point? he was. Yeah, there was a, a, a like a Nazi. I think it was a two-parter where uh, where Winston Churchill was on there. Yeah, that was actually a good one. That was the one that brought back. That had a politics. literal dogfight in space. Yes. See, here's where I get you back on point on topic, rather, because uh, at Comic Con they had Ooh. the Winston Churchill guy there signing autographs, and uh, not much of a crowd. <laughs> <laughs> But I was, but the way they had him uh, build, it seemed like he must have been a big character at some point. He was a very, I mean, the thing about Winston Churchill is, I think he's sort of like the Abe Lincoln of Britain. So you know, it's like having Abe Lincoln on Star <laughs> Trek. He so Abe Lincoln does show up on almost every show in some way, shape, or form. So yeah, but the British Star Trek shows, Abe Lincoln gets the, at Comic Con. I'm getting online for an autograph. Yeah, yeah. You see, I want to see the. Um, Oh, what was the Vulcan philosopher? Serac. Serac. I want to see Serac at the at the convention, just going, Spock, help me, Spock. Then my, Spock. my favorite thing with that is when he does the, uh, you know, he do, which way, whichever voice he does first. I think it's the Spock, help me, Spock. Can you do Lincoln? Kirk, help me, Kirk. He does the exact same voice, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, good, you did it." <laughs> That'll fool him. Screw it, Lincoln's hurt now. <laughs> Well, that's just because Abe Lincoln's cool. I mean, you know, how many presidents have we Churchill had in the? Too. Yeah, but how they're, many they're presidents have there ever they're... been that could kick your ass? Oh and my Abraham god, Abe Lincoln could totally kick your ass. Uh, that's Teddy Roosevelt. Cool. 
Yeah. Teddy Roosevelt could whoop you up one side of the Oval Office and the other, I'm sure. I'm just for the day when they just cut to the chase and they don't need Lincoln teaming up with Bill and Ted or Kirk and Spock or anybody this? else. He just gets his own show, ass-kicking Lincoln. That's the show I'm waiting what for. What about this? What about this? A Laurel and Hardy team of Lincoln and Churchill. You got the tall, skinny guy and the short, fat guy. It's going to be like the buddy cop Lincoln show that it's got to be Lincoln and Genghis Khan. They've already been together in two projects. They got a good chemistry together. Yeah, they work well together. They got that opposites thing going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. They're both good with an axe. Yeah. Genghis Khan is the sloppy one that leaves his socks on, you know, in the sink and stuff. Yeah. I would totally watch that show. <laughs> Lincoln, like, has a little poker thing and pokes a, like, severed hand up from the ground and, like, holds it up to Genghis Khan and, like, shakes his head and puts it in the garbage can. <laughs> Couldn't you tell an episode where Genghis Khan comes home from work and he walks in and Abraham Lincoln is wearing his Abraham Lincoln outfit with the stovepipe hat, but he's got, like, French. Yeah, he's got the French made apron around and he's vacuuming the floor. I could totally see that dude. And you know, Genghis walks in and throws his club on the table and, and Lincoln yeah. Thump, what's wrong, Genghis? You have a bad day at the office? I could totally see that, dude. <laughs> I want to see this goddamn show like yesterday. Genghis killing me, killing me. Genghis caught at his friends sitting around the little campfire in the living room, like throwing, throwing runes, and you know, it, Lincoln, Lincoln coming in was, would you like some cherry tarts? I've made good <laughs> cherry tarts. I just Have made I them. I told you how crazy my wife is. I, I chopped down the tree. Yeah. <laughs> Genghis, oh, you get the hell out of here. Why don't you go to the theater? There is a family story uh, on my mom's side of the family that one of my great-great-uncles held the horse for John Wilkes Booth the night he ran into the theater and shot Lincoln. Um, Every time I hear that story, I imagine that it's me just like in that time period, and I'm just sitting there talking to somebody, and he's like, here, boy, hold my horse. Oh, okay, sir, that's fine. (laughs) Anyway, so... With I was out with that. Bam. What the fuck was that? Jumps on the horse. Flashback with the same actor playing. The yeah. Park. Yes. He jumps in the ho- jumps on the horse, rides away. It's like, hey, dude, he didn't tip me. Yeah. Asshole. <laughs> and then there's one of those one of those screen flip scene changes where you're standing with like Marie Surratt or whoever, <laughs> like waiting to be hung at the gallows. Yeah, I could totally see that going. <laughs> I didn't even know the frigging guy. Come on. Didn't, I didn't even get a tip. I just held the horse. <laughs> I wasn't even supposed to be here today. <laughs> <laughs> That's retail in the old days. So I don't want to hear any more bitching from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i don't even know where the hell this episode is anymore we, well, we, well, we well actually our guest was doing a very good job of <laughs> steering it towards what we were sense. supposed to do while meanwhile the hosts of the show spin off the <laughs> road and we're doing donuts on the like side of the road right now like drunkenly laughing and yeah <laughs> well, we haven't gotten to do this in a while so paul how was that comic show <laughs> it was all right one of those, yeah, you went to some little comp convention, right? It was some some little like dealer show or something. I heard. Yeah, it was. 
couple of couple of thousand people. It wasn't wasn't too big. Freaking thing was mobbed. Actually, that was uh, my biggest problem with it. Is at least on the Sunday when it was wall to wall people. It was I don't know if any of you have ever been to. Uh, well, you probably haven't been, but like the feasts in Manhattan and stuff like that, where you're just fighting to get through. Uh, I've yes. been to Dragon Con, and yeah, Dragon exactly Con is like that. that. Dra- Dragon Con, yeah, was literally like a sort of like the human escalator, where yeah. you just sort of stood and everybody's moving, and you're like, okay, we're going this way now, you know, and you would just sort of try to, get, yeah, wall to wall. My experience with cons, you know, it had been well over 20 years since I had been to a con, probably about 25. I, had, I used to go, uh, me and my buddies used to go, uh, you know, to the Manhattan hotel shows. And they'd be set up, and it was never too, too crowded. You basically had three rooms. You had one room where you had your dealers. You had another room where your special guests would come, which would be, you know, spread out over the course of the day. It wasn't constant. And then you had a third room where they had a screen and they were showing old episodes of the Twilight Zone and Star Trek and things like that. That's what I you know, remember Comic-Cons being. Then last year, just on a whim, we went to the New York Comic-Con for the one day. I took my son and uh, we had a good time. It, wasn't, it was crowded, but it wasn't as bad as this year. But we decided we were going to come back again this year. And I ended up going Sunday again. That's the day that was really crowded. And uh, part of that is because Sunday is free kid day. Uh, if kids 12 and under are, are admitted free. And uh, so you, you basically have all your sold tickets plus those on top of it. So it, it's a lot of people. It's just a sea of humanity. You know? uh, but, the, you know, Thursday was only a half day. And that was only open to either dealers, press, or people with four-day tickets. So that wasn't nearly as crowded. So I was lucky to score tickets for the Thursday game, the Thursday game, Thursday show. And I went to that one first, which was pretty cool. Uh, I was supposed to have two friends go with me, and they both bailed on me at the last minute. So I was kind of the sad, lonely geek guy at the Comic-Con by himself, which uh, <laughs> I got, you know. Was There's advantages kinda... to that, too, because you get to go where you want, when you want. At, it's, at your that win. is true. You know, uh, but uh, well, I ended up, I got there. The, the thing opened at 4 o'clock, and I went in there. They have it broken down to three main rooms with dealers in them. There's basically like a, a room where they have games and game companies and different types of things like that. Then there's the regular dealer room where there's books. Uh, the, the small press each have a table, you know, have a, have a booth. Uh, actually, Marvel and DC have booths too. And, you know, all, all your different comic companies or comic stores uh, selling trades, selling, uh, you know, 50-cent bins, different things like that. And then you got your uh, Artist Alley, which uh, there was a, a good number of artists and writers, but then you also had uh, a podcast row. And uh, then there were some dealers there, but most of the dealers there were the small press producers of the books that they were selling. So you'd, you'd look at a book, and the guy who you'd, you were talking to was either the writer or the artist on the book, and he was the guy who was selling it, which was actually kind of cool. It was some That's kind of neat, yeah. And, uh, you know, you could see the, the pride in their work. And uh, the problem was I, I wasn't really looking to, to pick up a lot of that stuff, which I kind of 
had mixed feelings about it. It would be cool to get into some of that, but on the other hand, you know, I, I just don't have time to get into all new series like that, especially ones that I hadn't heard of before. But uh, I got there, and I was walking around, checking everything out, and I was probably there about an hour, an hour and a half, and I was almost ready to get on the train to go home. Because it was like, yeah, you know, this is nice, but not a hell of a lot going on for me. Then I started running into some people, and, you know, that, that's, that became... It made it and it turned it into fun. Instead of I right. went from being ready to go home to staying until they were announcing on the loudspeaker that you had to leave. So it it definitely turned turned around. First, I ran into a couple of the people in the podcasting row that I know of from their shows, and uh, I don't know how well you guys know all the different guys. It seems pretty like a pretty small community. Like you'd all you know yeah you, you all seem to know each other. each other or yeah. at least have heard of each other. First guy I ran into, real nice guy, uh, Ian Levenstein. Yeah. He does uh, comic timing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I recognized him and I, I said hello and we started talking and probably talked to him for about a half an hour. Real nice guy. Uh, just going, you know, talking about different experiences. He's also a guy from Brooklyn. So comparing uh, comic book story, stories and things like that. Then I kept walking around and Neil Adams was there and he had his own, he had his own booth where he was... Uh, selling some books that he had, some new books that he had come out with, but he also had this car, this, this new energy-efficient, cost-efficient car that they asked him to promote, and it had his art all over the car, which was uh, kind of weird. Now, now cool, I don't though. know how you guys... Oh, sorry, it sounds what? It sounds kind of cool, though. It, it was definitely cool, and uh, I, I don't know where you guys fall on Neil Adams, but he is probably my second favorite artist of all time. See, I After. love, love, love He's Neil right Adams up there. as a classic artist, but as yes. a as a human being, he's batshit crazy. That's the only <laughs> he took thing the words about Neil literally Adams. out of yeah. my mouth, Scott. I yeah. was about to say, you know, as an artist, fantastic. As a person, as a scientist, and who has a theory about the expanding Earth, wow. <laughs> well, no, but that that that's those things sometimes go hand in hand. <laughs> Have you ever listened to his interview uh, on Word Balloon? That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I listened to that, and he, he talks about basically his his theory of the expanding universe. He talks about how he basically recreated the color palette for comic books. Uh, and when he tells the story, everything sounds really like it makes sense. Of course. But, but you don't know how much it's you know based in reality or not. The color palette stuff, I I believe, because he said that in enough interviews, and no one has disputed him. Mm -hmm. Um, I could see him as you know, because every once in a while you do have the Mavericks that come through and say, "Why aren't we doing this? You know, this way. Let's try it this way." And it expanded the color palette, so that I buy. Everything about the expanding Earth, no. <laughs> sounds like uh, it sounds like he and I would probably get along really well. It sounds like I would probably end up hanging out with it because I'm not necessarily going to believe the expanded Earth. But then again, there's some, I there's some I have a sort of respect for people who commit to stuff like that. As long oh, he's as definitely they're, committed. Yeah, as <laughs> long as as long as they're not getting like you know we have to all kill ourselves in order to meet the comet you know or <laughs> or we have to you know take out this small city that's the you know center of evil or whatever you know i'm 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 fine uh, it's usually very it's i it's definitely not Wait a normal minute, that's conversation my proselytizing <laughs> 
Good night, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, well, so we'll back to Neil. <laughs> they, uh, they had a bunch of his original artwork there. Uh, his, a head sketch from him is like $300. Mm-hmm. It's, it's insane. They had, uh, not on his table, but on another, on another table where they were selling original art, I saw they had some pages of his. And they were like $11,000. Wow. I mean... Like and and they just have it there. Like you could pick it up and you know hang out. You know, turn it. You know, you could basically destroy it. You know, in a second. But uh, it almost seems like if I had something that I was selling for eleven thousand dollars, it would be behind glass. You know, right. You want to look at it fine, but but don't. He's touch. got it insured. But if you picked one of those up and ripped it up, it would be like the same as dropping a Ming vase on the ground. I guess it's not a vase; it's a vase because it would be worth so much. But yeah. you know, they probably have security tackle you, arrest you, and you'd be like. Paying, re- you know, paying for it through restitution, you know, there would, I mean, stuff that's that valuable. I'm sure. Uh, I would hope that it would be insured, and he would have legal, you know. But I'm, yeah, I'm sure that that they <laughs> you'd be carted off if you ever did anything to. Yeah. That. But I was looking at the artwork. I was trying to, you know, he's sitting right there, and I'm thinking I'd love to to get him to sign something. Uh, and they're selling him some books, but there was nothing that I was really into. Then they had they had a whole. Uh, bin of prints of different things that he drew uh, and I ended up picking a Batman and Robin one and uh, I think they charged 25 bucks for the print but then you walk over to him and he signs it and I was uh, you know, basically uh, pulling my Chris Farley telling him how cool I thought his artwork was now, was it Chris Farley? Yeah, didn't he do that bit? Yeah, yeah you, know that, you, you know that Batman? comic you did that was about good. Batman? Yeah wasn't that but, great? <laughs> but he he was really really nice about it. I was talking to him about you know back in the days when you know when I was a kid and I actually thought I might have some artistic talent and I would ape his drawings, and I would tell him you know I drew this one and he would remember the one I was talking about and he would say oh yeah I drew that for such and such magazine, very very cool. Then uh, he was telling me about how he's doing some project on uh, the X Men. And it's going to take place in the 1950s where Wolverine basically forms his own X-Men team. And he goes to Professor Xavier, who doesn't want anything to do with him. It sounded kind of interesting. But, uh, you know, but he was definitely not shy about talking to the fans that were there. And uh, then I, you know, I mentioned something about taking a picture. He grabbed somebody passing by, said, do me a favor, take a picture. Had me sit down, shake his hand. So I got a picture with him. He was very, very cool. That's awesome. I wonder how often somebody pops in and buys an $11,000 page of artwork. <laughs> it can't happen too often, but I, I would think stuff like that would know. go more at like those really high-level comic auctions. auctions. Yeah. In an auction or something, yeah. I mean, maybe they have it ju- there just on the off chance. I'm sure the bread and butter is like $25 a piece. But you know what? I got to say, it's good to it's good to know that while they're still alive some of these guys are getting you know can are getting treated like real artists where you know their artwork commands a a respectable price you know but that's that's the thing that i find interesting is like you know to to guys like us you know neil adams is comic book royalty but he walks yeah. out on the street and you know you grab the, an average 100 people and say do you know who neil adams is maybe two of them know Right. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's not like he's going to be mobbed by a crowd out in the street that they're going to know who he is. Yeah. The world's full of people like that. That's, that's, one of, that's just one of the great, well, you I'm, know. I remember reading a great article about that years ago, and I could not for the life of me tell you who it was. I, I want to say maybe Roger Stern, but I really can't remember. 
wrote a really interesting article about that, about how odd it is to be one of these people that goes to one of these things and, as you say, is treated like royalty. They're a celebrity. People are wanting to shake their hand and, and get pictures taken with them and get their autograph and and just be in their presence. And then, you know, they, they drive 50 miles back home and nobody knows who the hell they are. They're that kooky guy that lives at the end of the street that writes funny books, you know. So, yeah, that's got to be a very strange existence, I would think. Definitely like that really hadn't occurred to me about how how small I guess the fan community is when you really compare it mm-hmm. to something well, to like, like TV shows or to whatever. A, an actor or something in the mass media. But right. you could say the same thing about like famous authors. Like there's very few authors, and there's obviously you know there's still a New York Times bestseller list and stuff. So there's plenty of people writing books that are selling a lot of books and stuff, but. You know, all except for maybe like Stephen King, they could walk down the street and nobody will know who they who the hell they are, you know, because there's only even though they have enough, you know, enough people to to command that layer of celebrity. It's just not a mass media thing, but right, it's, it's good. It's good that they're not like it's good that they're not washing dishes right now. You know what I mean? That he that Neil Adams because there's a lot of people who are legendary who just ended up, you know, dying dead broke. Well, yeah, that that well, was one thing I was going to agree with what you said that it is nice that you know, he can while I think that $300 for a head sketch is absolute friggin' highway robbery at the same rate, if people are paying that, I'm glad for him because yeah, there's nothing worse than somebody like uh oh, I don't know, like Gene Colan or somebody for example, that was a legend that touched so many comic fans and and that we look at and just go wow this person was a god in this industry and they end up dying a pauper's death that's horrible horrible but, and but, i hate but, hearing stories like that here's did, did the difference he, uh... though between neil adams and gene colin you know both are phenomenal artists neil adams was also a businessman right and had his own company and knew how to sell himself and knew how to do things beyond comics that would bring money in. And, uh, you know, there's very few artists and creators who have that sort of business sense about them that they can maintain a career for, as, for longer than, you know, and not die, as you said, a pauper's death. It's it's an odd combination, the artist-businessman, but when you get that combination of a good artist and a good businessman, they do, it's smart, you know, it's made, that's allowed them to keep all their money that they made instead of just sort of being like, okay, I just want to do the creative stuff and, yeah, give me a check, you know, and I'll I'll cash it, but I won't check up and see if you're paying me, you know. Right. That's what. That's the way most artists are. I I, I know lots of artists that and they they don't want to deal with that aspect of it. But you know, I mean, just a lot of times. I mean, the the thing the thing about it, and another thing that sort of points to that is the number of people that you were saying were were there is now nerd stuff is pop culture. Now it's finally become to the point where people don't brush off. You know, someone because they're because they work in the medium of comic books anymore. You know, now there's now now there's people, you know, stopping and going, hey, wait a minute. You know, Neil Adams was, you know, I mean, a lot of the mood of Batman 
that, you know, a lot of the dark mood of Batman that everybody loves nowadays, there are a lot of, and not a lot of it's thanks to the internet and stuff like that. But people go, okay, you know, they figure out Neil Adams had something to do with it. And, and now he can get $300 head sketches. Right. So somewhere down here, I have my book, you know, The Art of Neil Adams. And if you've paged through that, I would say about half the stuff in there, which goes to what Michael was saying, is not comic book related. It's movie posters. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. different ads yeah. from magazines and you know different magazine type layouts and things. Uh, so yeah, he was definitely a businessman. Gra- or is graphic a business illustration, man. yeah. He's, he's a lot more of, the, of a commercial artist than a comic book artist. It's it's the equivalent of the guys who do a blockbuster movie so they can do their weird personal small movie and not have to worry about you know the studio not giving them money because they can use all you know that was that was the thing they could sit and do their commercial art you know on a regular schedule and then do their comics well adams did a lot of that i mean one of the things that i always think of is uh, those awesome posters for the uh the 70s king kong movie he did those mm-hmm. like the famous mm-hmm. one of kong atop the uh, world trade center that's a neil yeah. adams and that's oh wow gorgeous I mean, that's yeah. an incredible it's piece It's iconic. Of art. Yeah, it is. Very much but so. But what makes it even better, as far as I'm concerned, is that you come over there, you know, granted, we, you're sitting there talking about Neil Adams, so it's probably his favorite subject, but <laughs> he sits there and he gives you the time and, and he makes you feel welcome, and I'm talking to him about the artwork that I drew, which is, you know, obviously <laughs> nothing to brag about uh, compared to anything he's ever thought about doing, but, you know, he's he's encouraging and he's saying oh that's great and i don't know you just got to be impressed with the the attitude that, that they're not so full of themselves that right you know, he he is but he's not so full of himself that he's closing you out well, he the, gave the, me life advice <laughs> he, when i in his him. own way he did but uh <laughs> no it, it was it, he 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 went on a tirade about how you need to do what you want to do with your life and you don't have to depend on a company for insurance and how he runs a business and all that. And it was just like, wow, I'm sitting here getting life advice from Neil Adams. I never thought such a well, thing would ever happen to me, and yet here here's, it is. Here's so what the you're thing, saying, Paul, is that he, w- he was no uh, uh, Bruce Boxleitner, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, there's so many guys there. Or, I mean, I didn't deal with any of them because I wasn't fawning over too many of the people. But, I, I mean, I know the types that, that you go over to them and, and they just kind of like nod at you and then turn away and take, right. you know, take back to whatever they were doing. And they don't worry about satisfying the fans at all. Right. Well, well he's, he's not, he's, it's probably because he's not always been appreciated, you know. And, and, and a lot of times, if, if all of a sudden you're a big hit when you're 20 years old, that can spoil you a lot worse than you being really good and working hard and then being 60-some years old and people appreciating you and being like mature enough to go like, you know, I remember when I was struggling and, you know, and he probably remembers when his art wasn't much to speak of, you know, when he was first starting to draw, you know. With him, it was probably when he was like five years old or whatever, <laughs> but, you know. But he's but probably I mean, been compulsively drawing since then, you know. He probably goes home after a convention and draws for two hours just to just to draw you know that's that's usually how those guys uh, are my my first uh, old man get off my lawn reminiscence uh but I, i remember you know back in the early 70s when i was first starting to get into this stuff and other than the real old issues 
of all the books. You know, if you were getting something from issue one to 20 of one of the key books, obviously that was significant. But after you got past that, there were only certain books that had that real cachet to them. You know, the Galactus trilogy, things like that. And all of the Neil Adams Marvel books, the X-Men run that he did, the Avengers issues that he did, they were all like real big collectors mm-hmm. got to have books. Yep. So yeah, like as long as I can grade, remember, yeah. huge. You know, the, the DC stuff was a little bit more, he was more proficient with DC, so it wasn't quite as big of a, uh, a thing to get those issues. With Marvel, he had done a lot less, and the Marvel issues were, you know, there was a little Holy Grail aspect to getting the Neil Adams issues. Yep, that so was back in the day when, when stuff was, yeah. Scott, you said you were going to rub this in, and you haven't rubbed it in yet, but just want to say triumphantly, we've got somebody older than Scott and I on the show. <laughs> Who's that? Finally, yeah. I didn't know you were older than them, Mike. You, you outed yourself when you said early 70s. Yeah, really. <laughs> a lot of these people... Well, were I'm not in like, my early 70s, no matter how much you want to push that. <laughs> a, lo- a lot of these people were, were swinging around in a ball sack in the early 70s, <laughs> if you know what I'm, I'm That's saying. That's disgusting. It's true, though. It is true. Now, <laughs> when, when you were talking to, to Adams or, or you know just hanging around with him, did, did, he, did he grouse at all about people being more into his older stuff than, than the stuff he's churning out these days? No, not at all. Not really? at all. I mean, he did. He did want to talk about the stuff he's doing now. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned that I was surprised that he did the Avengers issue. I think he did the like one of those point one issues. It was like the and, Requiem and, or something like that, right? The the thing when uh, when the Wasp died. Is that what you're talking about? No, no. Just very recently. Oh, okay. Uh, like like in the last couple of months, he did one of the point one issues, either New Avengers or Avengers. I'm not sure which. And I said to him, oh, I was surprised to see you back on the Avengers. And he just kind of poo-pooed that. He says, one issue, that's it. And then he went into telling me about this X-Men miniseries that he's going to do. And uh, he was telling me about the story. And then I, I, I said, oh, who's, who's writing it with you? And he just gave me a look and he put, you know, pointed his thumb at himself. Uh, and, and, you know, we'll see how that works out. I mean, I know most of the people don't like what he's written on Batman Odyssey. So we'll see. I still, like the, I still think the artwork is outstanding, though. I don't know if you've read any of those. I have not. See, I'm. I consider myself a huge Adams fan, but at the same rate, I'm very much one of these people that's like. Sadly, I think his his best yeah. days are behind him. You know what I mean? Because you I, know what the last Neil Adams, new Neil Adams, I read was. I'm not proud to say this. Miss Mystic. Remember that? That was oh, like yeah. 1980 something. Yeah, something like that, like 1984 or something like that. Yeah. When that came out, that was he wasn't producing a lot of comics at that time. It was sort of like a big comeback, and it was yeah. in the first days of like some of the alternative indies, and it's like, oh, and it was a little cheesecakey too. So it had all sorts of, it was like a you know rated, it was like a PG thirteen comic. Right. It was uh, Pacific Comics. Yes, yep. they, they had yes. a little run there where uh, you had uh, Neil Adams doing Ms. Mystic, you had Mike Grell doing. Star Slayer, I think that was the name of the comic. Yeah, yeah. You had uh, Jack Kirby doing Captain Victory. Captain mm-hmm. Victory. I used to have Captain Victory 3D comic. So they, they went and they got a bunch of like big name artists, and then uh, Scott, one of your favorites, Rocketeer. Yep. They had Rocketeer. Yeah, they had Rocketeer came out of that stuff. Yep. And they had two horror anthologies too that were really good. 
that would have that would have different. They they both horror anthologies. I think they had one guy writing them, and then they had all these different artists of varying. And uh, a couple times they even had a couple uh, ones with Bernie Wrightson in it. Which uh, which one was that? Which what was the um, name of that one? Oh, one was called Alien Tales. It okay, yeah, all right, yeah, all right. Now, yeah, now I know what you're talking about because that was oh. uh, that was uh, some of the earliest booby stuff in my comic collection. Uh, yeah, they all they all had they all had boobies. That they the, yep. they they all had at least like one or two stories. They were like the HBO like yes tales from the crypt. They were guaranteed to have some boobies in at least one of the stories. Yep. And I can't remember what the horror one was. But uh, I had a whole. I like still terrific whole, tales of terror, or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about now. And uh, that had, and they would have Richard Corbin in that sometimes. And yeah, it would always be like these gorgeously drawn stories. Mm. The 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 stories themselves were just sort of simple EC sort of things with real boobies thrown in and yeah, and a good amount of gore. So yeah, thumbs up on a lot of the. Yeah, they were. I forgot all about Pacific Comics. They were. Well, you know, they, Adams uh, top shelf. Adams went on to do, uh, you know, he. I think he was the founder or something of Continuity Comics, and some of that stuff. You know, I, I hardly ever hear that stuff mentioned or really talked about. But some of that stuff, from what I've ever read of it, some of that stuff is really quality work. I mean, I like a lot of that quite a bit. You know, he usually did just covers or like story layouts or something like that. You know, the like the 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 scripting. So he right. didn't do a whole lot of the actual artwork, but some of that stuff is pretty fantastic. And I've been building a slow collection of that stuff because I'd like to read, you know, all of it at some point. But uh, I always liked his megalith uh, work that he did, and I can't remember that. Maybe during the stretch that I wasn't buying comics, like in, from like the mid '80s to the early '90s, I was right. out of it. Yeah. So that may have been when that fell because I don't remember that at all. It's it's good stuff, and it and it owes back heavily to his uh, his Superman days. That's why I like it. it's very reminiscent of his old Superman stuff. Now, other than the Superman versus Muhammad Ali, I can't think of a lot of Superman that he did other than covers. He did a lot of covers um, for Superman for Superboy, and I'm trying to think of yeah, off the top of my head, I'm blanking on any actual like Superman. Like where he did the the issues, you know, the the interiors. I, I I'm sure that he did. I'm just can't, I can't think of any off the top of my head. But yeah, he did some iconic uh, Superman covers. I, I would say, you know, purely off the top of my head, if I had to name my favorite cover artist of all time, he's probably number two on that list, just because he had this knack of taking even the most ridiculous concepts. You know, like uh, like Superboy's gone blind and is a beggar on a street corner or something like that, and making them both cool and just eerie. I mean, Superman, creepy. Yeah, yeah, creepy, yeah. And Superman's not typically a character. I mean, he's usually the last character you would think of as creepy, but some of those, especially like the old Superboy covers, they're damn creepy. And that was one of the things that made you want to snap them up and and. You know, buy them or, or you know, thumb through them at the newsstand or something. Was that the covers were just awesome? He was a hell of a cover artist, and I really reminded things, me of the two things he did was like he he had a higher level of realism than any artist at that yes you know in that day, uh, and it wasn't the current you know let me take a picture and trace it kind of realism. It was just just a 
realistic uh, expressions and facial movements and mm-hmm. he also had uh, he had a di- different perspective on the angles that you would present the covers from or the pictures in general so that i mean he brought so much innovative stuff to to the way comics are done now you know that that it's just phenomenal when you look at some of his stuff back then it's hard to believe how long ago it was absolutely well he he was uh he was truly bringing art to comics, you know, as far as it was being, it was representative of what you would see, uh, you know, quote, well, it was like quote, illustration, illustration, exactly where, you know, whereas before, you know, comic books were very much, you know, they were, they were pictures telling a story in a very simplistic, um, cartoony you know, way, cartoony kitty way. Yeah, very much so. Whereas well, people, they were also being, uh, uh, you know, they were also being made a lot of times in a sort of, you know, hurried, under un, under the gun, you know, production line sort of way by people who are like, not thinking about how am I going to artistically set up this page or anything, right? You know, and he and was, so, yeah, and when he was, it made him stand out immediately. You know, it it makes a huge difference. You know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's it just he. I, I was just listening. Uh, another guy, uh, Tom DJ. Uh, he d- he does a, a Halloween. You know, he does his DJ Comics Cavalcade. I don't mm-hmm. know if you ever listened to that. Mm-hmm. But uh, for Halloween, he does Phantom Stranger each year, and he did an issue of Phantom Stranger, and it's the apparently the one issue that Neil Adams drew. And uh, Tom was giving him credit for. First of all, for creating the whole new look for the character that hadn't existed before and with one issue has carried through to the way he's drawn till today. But he was also pointing out uh, really well the way Neil Adams would lay out a frame where he'd have like one frame, but he'd have three different shots in it and how that would pull your eye down and create this impression of frenetic energy and different things that, that he would do. And Tom was pointing them out and it was really a great listen uh, you know, he, he did maybe 15 minutes on the issue, but, uh, you know, it, it really pointed out some of the things about what makes Neil Adams so great. And it was uh, worth listening to. Yeah, I like Tom's uh, Tom's stuff quite a bit. I have to give that a listen to because, you know, I'm, I'm both an Adams fan and a, uh, a Phantom Stranger fan. So I'd like to I'd like to check that. I didn't know that uh, Adams kind of set the look for for uh, Phantom Stranger. That's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't known it either. It's a natural pairing, that's for sure. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, Mike, you're awful quiet this episode. Yeah, no, you, guys just... Were just, you guys were just talking. I was <laughs> sitting here enjoying it. My, uh, I'm, I'm behind on Tom's show, which is why I was kind of quiet there. He's uh, a good friend of mine, and I'm behind on his show, and I feel really bad. <laughs> you didn't so. want to admit it? Well, it's, it's out now. It's out there now. No, it, it's the look, you know, it, you know, Adam's probably you know created that look that jim aparo and i think jim aparo really is the quintessential phantom stranger artist but he definitely used that turtleneck uh cape look uh that that is visually the phantom stranger is a great character i just got sick of him showing up in justice league going here's something mysterious Go do Goodbye. it. Yes. Yeah. Go with it. Yeah. I think a lot of writers don't know what that character is and don't know what yeah, to do with it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there is no bad characters. There are characters that the right writer has not come across yet. Well, 
Maybe I'll be able to contest you on that later on <laughs> in the show, but we'll get to that okay. later. <laughs> to finish off on that point, uh, Mike, uh, you, you basically said exactly what Tom did, that Jim Aparo is the quintessential uh, Phantom Stranger artist, but he did give Adams credit for kind of setting the look that Aparo then built on. So once I left Neil Adams, <laughs> then I, I went walking, uh, and uh, it was kind of amusing. I ran into uh, Jimmy Palmiotti. Uh, he's a great guy. Yes, yes. he really, really is. Nice guy. And it's funny because... Uh, Another upbeat I, guy. I friended Jimmy on Facebook. Uh, less based on his fame and more based on the fact that he's another guy from Brooklyn. And uh, I've, I've actually gotten into a couple of back and forths with him on Facebook, you know, just about different things in Brooklyn. So when I saw him, I went over and I said, hey, Jimmy. And he looked at me and he like put up his finger like, uh, like he, he was trying to remember. And he was like, Paul. <laughs> so I thought that was really cool that he That's actually awesome. recognized me. Uh, and then we just started talking. We were shooting the breeze, talking about the old neighborhood, all of that. And uh it was kind of kind of funny that uh, we, talk, we started talking about the fact that I was going to come back on Sunday with my son. And he said, you know, he was asking me how old my son is. My son's 14. He says, oh, does he read comics? I said, well, he does. He, you know, when, when he's not playing video games, he'll read comics, but he prefers the video games. So he looks at me totally serious and he puts up his finger and he says, you know what you got to do? You just got to leave some books in the can. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you get him into comics. And I just thought Especially that was... someone with some boobies in him. There you go. Yeah, really. But, uh, you know, just talk to him for a few minutes and just what a great guy. What, you know, so accommodating and friendly. Do you want him friendly. to not leave the can by leaving <laughs> right, yeah. the boobies in there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the problem. You leave a trail of comics coming out of the can to get him out of there. It, yeah, I was just going to say, it doesn't matter whether a 14 year old is going to be in the can anyway, no matter what. A 14 year old boy, 14 year old girl, the bathroom is like the second home for different yeah. reasons. I don't even want to know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was great. Then a couple of more podcasting guys I ran into. I ran into the guys over at 11 O'Clock Comics, David Price, Chris Neesman, and Jason Wood. I don't know if you know those guys. Uh, I, I've listened yeah. to the show once or twice. It's a pretty decent show. Yeah, they do a good show, and I saw them, and I said hello, and really, really accommodating, very friendly. Uh and uh, I was talking to Chris Neesman, and this comes into play later, but I was, we were talking about how I was talking to him about Neil Adams. And then I mentioned the fact that Neil Adams was my second favorite artist of all time. And he says, well, who's your first? And I said, John Romita Sr. And we were talking about how he's going to be there on Sunday. So, and then I, I mentioned him, uh, Mike and Scott, do you remember I had sent you uh, a, a scan of... Uh, an autograph that Ramita had given me where he drew a little Spider-Man head yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, had, I mentioned that to Chris. He says, well, you got to bring that with you on Sunday because he'll get a kick out of it. So that, and so that comes into play later. But uh, talking to those guys, and I was talking to the iFanboy guys. They were also pretty cool, but they were out with their video camera taking stuff, so they talked for like two seconds and they were gone. But basically, with all of that, it ended up running the course of the day. And it was next thing I knew, it was like seven, and they were saying, "All right, you know, if you haven't left yet, you got to leave soon." So I hopped on the the train and went home. But uh, came back on Sunday, so I missed the next two days. Uh, and what I heard, as far as what I missed, the best thing seemed to have been the Avengers panel, Avengers movie panel, and the Walking Dead panel, which both seemed Ooh. to have been pretty good. 
they had a lot of the cast there for The Walking Dead. And from what I heard, they were uh, extremely accommodating that they stayed afterwards. They were signing a bunch of autographs and uh, just, you know, that they were all very friendly. I'm sure they're happy campers, man. They've got a night. They just got they just got renewed for a third season. So they're, they've got some job security. Did they I'm really? sure they. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure they've got some. Uh, some uh, fans too, you know. At this at this point, they're yeah. How you, they're uh, probably. I wonder, they're I wonder if they screwed the, it all with the uh, with the budget cuts, though. You know, ah, they, uh, they've probably they've prob that's probably not where the screwing came in. It's probably in budget and you know sets and stuff like that. And if you've noticed, there's you know, I mean, I don't know if it has anything to do with the budget cuts. <laughs> I just I don't understand that TV mentality, and it's something about TV where it's like, oh, it's a hit, let's cut the money for it, you know? And, yeah, oh, it's a hit, no it's sense. a hit. Well, because they're thinking we're going to make big money, and if we cut the budget for it, the money we'll make is even bigger, you know? Because, and we're going to make the money anyway, so we'll 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 cut cut down on. But at the same time, they're doing stuff like they're filming on 16 millimeter, which looks beautiful, and that yeah, that cuts see, the I want to I want to try to save this discussion for when we actually do, we do a, another Dead. Walking Dead TV yeah. series episode. But I'll, I'll just say for myself, I can definitely see the step down. I can I can see where the budget got slashed. I think that that's evident. In well, it's gone from the fact that they've been stuck on the on the road. Uh, in Georgia for what four episodes now we, we're seeing the same farmhouse for three or four episodes yeah I can definitely see where the budget well, got slashed they're trying their goddamnedest not to make it noticeable but it, it's pretty noticeable I think but like I say I yeah, want to kind of table that discussion for a, for another time yeah I won't belabor the point but history is full of shows that started off as a house of fire and then when the quality went down People stopped watching, mm-hmm. so they better be careful. Yep. I, I, well, I mean, I still think it's a good show, but they got to, you they, know, they got to make sure of that. They've got writing and acting on their side. That's the one, one really good thing they've got. They've got strong cast members. The thing about cast members is, in The Walking Dead, you're going to be replacing cast members. <laughs> you're going to always be adding and subtracting. So. They've got a good lot now, but not all those people are going to be with you all the time. So, well, it's, they, it's, if, if they don't lose some characters, the show is going to lose some of its effectiveness because you're going to start saying, you know, you can start losing that feeling that anybody could die at any moment. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm still. They still have. It still has the feel of the comics for me. You know what I mean? It's still when I watch it, I still get that like. Even though I sort of know what how some things are going to resolve, there's enough new stuff in there where I still feel that little Kirk Kirkman bite that he would give at the end of a comic or something. It's still it's still thrown into the show, and and I'm getting a lot of pleasure from it vicariously from all the people who have no idea who think it's just a TV show and they're hanging on every episode. They're like. Oh my God, this Shane guy is crazy. I hope this doesn't happen, and I hope does. 
this doesn't happen and I'm sitting there just going, oh god, you guys have no idea we, where... We totally oh. need to do a, a, a follow-up episode to the one that, that you guys I know, did we, a while we back. never... Well, we only did the first half right, of the first season, so we got to finish... Right, you did the first three episodes of the first one. Yeah, we, we, need, we need to do that because I think that you and I might actually have very, very different opinions of the, the Walking Dead TV show, so... Yeah. But, uh... I definitely want to do that. I still, I would have loved to have seen that 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 panel for sure. Well, yeah, I would like to have gotten that one too. Paul, you What's said the magic called? words. You said uh, the Avengers. Now, I'm probably setting myself up for another uh, potential huge letdown, like I did with uh, with Tron Legacy. But I'll just say that uh, I don't think I've been this excited about an upcoming movie. Since oh God, I, the kiss of death. Yeah, I, I know. I know. That's that's my worry is that I'm setting myself up. But so far, I think this movie's. Uh, I think this movie's going to be awesome. What what is, what's your feeling about the Avengers? Are you worked up about it? I'm trying to not be. For trying exactly not the reasons be. that you said. <laughs> I'm, I understand. I'm trying to just. I'm trying to avoid a lot of the hype and and not get all excited about it too early because then I'm almost setting myself up to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was able to, to keep my expectations low with Thor, with uh, uh, X-Men First Class, but I wasn't able to keep them low on Captain America. Thankfully, it ended up being my favorite of the three, so it was okay. But if you know if, if that movie had let me down, it would have been a huge letdown because I had high expectations for it. Uh, and, and now I'm just trying to, to relax a little bit about the Avengers and not really think about it too much because I don't want to get my expectations high and I don't want to set myself up for disappointment. How did you feel about uh, Thor and uh, X-Men First Class? Actually, I I thought this was like my favorite summer of movies probably ever. Wow, it was a good year. It was was a good year. The only thing I wasn't crazy about that I saw this summer was Green Lantern, and even that I thought was pretty good. I just didn't think it was, you know, top-notch. Right. But, uh, 2010, 2011 were just like packed full of good genre movies, like mm-hmm. on the high budget to the low budget, more indie stuff. There was just all this good stuff coming out. Just there's just no way to complain, and a lot of it was stuff that I didn't even have that I didn't even have any interest in. That all of a sudden was you know bowling me over, you know, like yeah. uh, Thor. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure what what I was going to think about Thor. I really, you know, didn't go in with particular expectations. I thought that I actually I thought they were going to screw it up, uh, and I was very happily surprised when I saw it. And then uh, we could easily do two hours talking about uh, Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and the just, sequel just to that's been that. greenlit. That's there's, there's oh, really? been a sequel to that greenlit. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's already. I think there's already a viral video. Uh, I, I actually there's now a two true freaks so you can go to Tumblr and look at two true freaks pictures. But I think there's a viral video already uh, of the new Planet of the Apes movie. Just a teasy, te- it's like a it's it's like a funny movie you would see on YouTube, but at the end it's got the watermarks for the movie company, and it was on a it was on a planet of the apes thing so and it's like all these guys like in a it, i'm thinking like in an african country there's sort of like a militia they're all sitting around with their ak-47s and sitting around outside and talking to each other and joking and this uh chimp comes walking out of, down the road and walks up to the camp and they're all like 
hey, Ch you know, it's all in a different language. And they're all like, hey, Chip. And one of the guys hands his AK-47 to the chimp, and the chip's just sitting there, you know, just sort of bumbling around with it, and they're all laughing. And then all of a sudden, the chimp just starts, like, squeeze, like grabs it like uh, he knows what he's doing, starts squeeze, squeezing off shots at their feet, and they all go running off, and you see the chimp, like, and, like, the cameraman drops the camera, and you see the camera just aiming at the chimp. The chimp's got the gun over his head, like, yeah! And, uh, and there's all these people who think it's a real video going, look at those idiots, you know, who would give a gun to a, a chimp, you know? And But I think that's, like, I'm hoping that would be a good direction for the sequel to Planet of the Apes. Yeah, I just hope they don't go too far in the future from the one that just ended. Pick it up not too long after. I, I, I think you, it, that's better than all of a sudden doing 20 years in the future in the Apes Society. Right. Right. It's hard to say though. I like the idea of talking apes, so and you need to go a long time in the future for them to evolve like the correct vocal cords or something. Maybe we'll get a um uh you know like uh I can't remember the name of the doctor in Buck Rogers, but you know an ape with some sort of, you know, computer hung around his neck that talks or something. That would be cool. Oh yeah, I know what you, yeah, I can't remember that character's some, name either. I know what you're talking about. Uh, you know, the, of, the bottom line is with the script they put together for this first one, I'll trust that they're going to put something intelligent together for the second one <laughs> instead of just going action movie. I hope so. I hope you're right. So what else but, did uh, you do at the, the New York Comic Con? So uh, we went back on Sunday, and we actually, it was me and my son and then a couple other friends and their kids uh, all went. And like I was saying, Sunday was really crowded. Uh, we probably, I think they started around 9, but my son had football practice, I had to wait for him, so we left a little later, and we got there probably about 11.30, and uh, the first first order of business was at noon they were having the costume contest, so we wanted to go catch that, and uh, they had that in a totally separate area, which was pretty cool because it wasn't as crowded there, and they had some people with some just outstanding costumes. They had a guy with an Optimus Prime outfit that was clearly homemade and very, very detailed. They had this one dude who had, uh, he, he was Bicycle Man, and he actually had wheels on each of his legs and each of his arms. Ah. And he, like, it was, it was a, a chore for him just to climb up onto the stage for, for it, but, you know, it was just, just a crazy outfit. They had uh, this guy dressed as the Red Skull, uh, but it looked like he finally uh, defeated Captain America by eating him because he was a very large man. <laughs> uh, and But uh, what else? They had Jack Skellington was a really cool costume. Uh, and they had, a, they had a guy in a Bane costume that was pretty cool. So we, we were checking that out, and that was a lot of fun. And the same area where they had that was pretty close to where they had the autographs signing. Uh, so I, I spotted Mark Hamill and immediately took a picture, not noticing the no photograph signs, and got yelled at by the security immediately. Uh, who else did they have there? They had Peter Mayhew was signing uh, a couple of autographs. Uh, Jerry Lawler, the wrestler. Yeah, one of my favorites of all time. They had a more recent wrestler who I couldn't tell you who it was. Uh... And uh, what, what's the name? Elijah Dushku. She had a big crowd. Um, I, 
can't think of anybody else that they had at the autograph area. Like I said, that wasn't Mob. The only one that was really drawing a big crowd was Mark Hamill. And they had uh, the Batmobile down there and the Back to the Future car. They had the, the 1960s TV show Batmobile and oh, the wow. Tim Burton Batmobile as well. So they were both pretty cool looking. I, I know you're not a big fan of the TV show, but the uh, the car I, is outrageous. Yeah, I'm not, but the car is cool. I, I remember as a kid, uh, it came to our local mall, and I, I took a ton of pictures. I've got a picture somewhere of my little sister. She was probably about seven, eight years old, sitting in the in the Batmobile, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, I love that car, d- despite my feelings for the show itself. They had they had something where you could pay to take a picture. You know, you come and sit in the car and take a picture. I don't know how much it was, five, ten bucks. I probably would have thought about paying and let my son sit in it, take a picture of him in there, but the line was just a little too long, so we didn't go for that. Uh, then as we were walking from there, they had a, uh, a, a a booth kind of along the walkway where they were selling, like, high-end costumes, and they had these two girls dressed in these very, very sexy Iron Man outfits. They're basically the Iron Man outfit was a pair of shorts, a halter top, and a repulsor ray on their hands. And uh, I got a picture of my son and my friend's son with them. That was, was, uh, I think the smile was real in that picture. Uh, And then, you know, we spent some time going through the the sales area. You know, I I told my my boy he could pick out a few books, which he did. Uh, And then we went into the uh, artist alley. I wanted to see if I could find John Romita Sr., now, back to what Chris Neesman had told me to bring that autograph. I was a little concerned about bringing it because I was afraid, you know, I've had this thing for 35 years and now I'm going to screw it up by bringing it to Comic-Con. So I ended up just printing a copy of the scan and I brought that with me. But I was ready to, to show it to him and talk to him about it. So we went over to the booth where they were sitting and it was John Romita Jr., John Romita Sr., and uh, Klaus Janssen. Oh, wow. Together. Uh, and they, had, they just had a tip jar. They weren't actually charging for autographs. They have a tip jar there. I believe that uh, John Romita Sr.'s grandson or granddaughter and John Romita Jr.'s niece or nephew, whoever it is, I don't even know what it is, but they suffer some, from some type of condition. And basically they do their autographs for charity for that condition, whatever that is. Uh, and I've heard that before. And basically there, there was a, jar, a tip jar there, and it just said... Uh, Somebody put a note there saying something to the effect of, you know, if you put money in it and I can hear it hit the bottom, that's not good. So, <laughs> you know, they, they definitely wanted bills. So I, I, he had a, he, they had a long line, and John Sr., who was really the one who I wanted to see, like he was talking to one guy. I took a couple of pictures of him while, while I saw him, uh, probably for five, ten minutes. I mean, he was definitely giving the guy some attention. And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't sure if everybody wanted to deal with it. You know, waiting, but you know, my friends were like, you know, oh, you know, it's your favorite artist. You got to wait. You got to wait online. So I didn't actually bring anything for him to sign. So I went out to one of the uh, the booths where they were selling trades, and I picked up a copy of uh, uh, Spider-Man Visionaries, John Romita, for six bucks. And I came back in, and by the time I got that and got back, he was gone. Oh! So I, I was very sad that I, I missed out on a chance to actually talk to him. But uh, oh, that's not where I thought that story was going. Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> yeah, it was. That was my disappointing moment. But uh, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't as if I had even said, you know, wait here, because 
from the way he was talking to people, I got the feeling he was so accommodating that if I had said, let me just go get something, I'll be right back, he probably would have waited. But uh, I just figured, you know, with this long line, it'll take a while for him to get through it. But I guess they probably had some sort of time deadline that we can only stay until such and such time, then we got to go. Right. You know, I'm, I'm guessing if you were online, then you could just got a quick autograph and that was it, you know? Man. But, uh, yeah, that was a little disappointing. But, uh, you, know, st- you know what? There was still a certain level of thrill to see one of my childhood heroes that way, though, even though I didn't get to speak to him. So, you know, to, so he me, was he was the he was the draw for you for that particular con. I mean, he he was what you went for. No, actually, you know, we were planning on going all along before I had even heard that he was going to be there. Oh, okay. But but then when I heard he was going to be there, he did become a big factor in my wanting to, you know, get a chance to see him and maybe speak to him. But even then, I was kind of on on you know waffling a little bit because I didn't want to make everybody else sit and wait. But they, they were encouraging me, no, 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 go ahead. So, you know, I thought, okay, let me do this then. But, uh, you know, what are you going to do? You know, my, my son ended up, uh, I had told him in advance, I had said, look, here's the deal. I'm going on Thursday afternoon without you. So when I go with you on Sunday, we do what you want. You know, I, I'll have already had a chance to see everything. So his mission in life was to get as much free crap as he could find. <laughs> so we any anywhere where they were giving out free T-shirts or anything, he he was waiting online and he wanted it. So he ended up walking out with like three or four free T-shirts and probably went over to three booths where they were selling T-shirts and asked for free ones and <laughs> was sent away. Uh, but just kind of going through, they had a couple of cool things. They had uh, they had a big Avengers platform, uh, and I don't know exactly what they were doing with that because it was always. Uh, inactive when i was there uh but it but it, they had a like a captain america uniform in glass like the the movie uniform and uh it was just a, a, a like i said a very big setup for that they had a life-sized uh blister pack for an avengers action figure and then you could go inside of it and take a picture of yourself as the action figure basically yeah which yeah. that was that was cool. I like those. Okay. They have one of those that they do at uh, at Star Wars weekends down here at Disney, and I, I like to go in there and get my picture taken. As uh, Chris photoshopped one of them and uh, and yep. put the name on it was Tourist Trooper, which I thought was very funny. <laughs> well, they they also uh, they had one that I saw on Thursday, which was a Star Wars one, and it was Darth Vader. But you go in and you know it's you in there, even though it's the package for Darth Vader. That's cool. Uh, but. But I wanted, and I wanted to take a picture of my son in that one, but I couldn't find it on Sunday, which was kind of strange that it just, unless they, unless they removed it somehow, you know, that it wasn't there for the whole con. I don't know. But, uh, you know, we, we ended up there, I would say, maybe five hours on Sunday. And by that time, we were all pretty exhausted and we headed for home. So it was, it was definitely a good time. I really enjoyed it. I'm I'm looking forward to next year because uh, we're gonna drag Chris down there from everything um uh, everything we've been talking about and uh, hopefully we'll we'll get some time to to get together and uh, maybe well, make fun of people or something. Yeah, I'm hoping I get <laughs> on it maybe a little earlier next year and get my get my free press pass there because yeah, I haven't been to New York City since 2004. I think mm-hmm. was the last time I was there, so I'm I'm itching to. 
And it's a, that's an and it's at a nice time of year to be in New York City too. It's not going to be too hot or too cold, you know. It'll be. Yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to it. I and if I if I do it next year, I want to try to do it up, and do it. You know, be there every day. Well, my my plans right now are, I'm definitely going to try and go next year. I told my son to avoid the crowds that we're going to probably go together on the Thursday afternoon show this time. So, you know, the, the three, four hours that we get then will be enough for him to, to get his full of it. And then I'm probably going to take off from work on Friday and go then, which would be a good time if we're going to try and uh, hang out and do something there. Because uh, that'll probably be me solo again on Friday. But I was told at least, uh, I was talking to, I don't know, if, another podcasting guy. I don't know if you guys know Johnny M from the Legion of Dudes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because he and I had some contact and we found out that I live in the town that he grew up in and he lives like 10 minutes away from me, but yet we still have yet to meet face to face. But uh, we, we were talking about the kind of, I was there Thursday and Sunday, he was there Friday and Saturday. So I believe he was on our Walking Dead show. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a good guy. And uh, he had said on Friday he was there and it stayed pretty manageable crowd-wise until about four or so in the afternoon, five in the afternoon when people started getting out of work and that's when it started to get crowded. So I'm thinking, okay, if I go on Friday, I'll try and go early and when it starts getting really crowded, maybe that's when I'll take off. So, and then he said he went on Saturday, but he basically spent the day in the, uh, the big theater for the uh, Walking Dead and the Avengers uh, panels. So that's where I had gotten most of my information about those were from him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I'm looking forward to next year. There were things about it that I wasn't crazy about, but it definitely was well worth going, and I enjoyed it. And, you know, I, I don't get, they don't have the smaller shows like they did when I was a kid, so I got to go to, you know, this big one. Well, see, People keep talking to me about San Diego, but I can't see paying for airfare out there. That's to San a Diego. long ride. Yeah, a long trip for that. And that one's probably really, really packed with people. Well, see, I was kind of wondering, you know, you you had said at the beginning that it had been, what you said, like 20 years since you had been to one. So that that was just kind of why I was asking about, uh, was Ramita the draw for you? I'm just curious, why, why did you decide to go after all this time? Like, kind of what was the what was the inspiration or what was the draw for you to suddenly want to go to a con again after so much time? Is it just that you're finally, like, back into comics again, or, or what is it? Well, I mean, I've been, I, like I said, I had stopped in the mid-80s, but then I right. started up again around the death of Superman, pulled me back in, and I've been not, you know, I haven't been the avid collector that I was as a kid, but I've been back into it since then, and uh, podcasting, actually, you know, listening to different podcasts and stuff kind of gives me my comic book friends, many of whom I don't actually know, uh, but, it, you know, it, it gives me that access to, to comic information that I didn't have otherwise, which is kind of cool. Uh, but I had, uh, we had gone last year. So this was my second in a row after oh, 25 okay. of not going. Uh, and basically my biggest impetus to go was the fact that, you know, my son is now old enough to go with me. And, right. Uh, and, and, and just the, the idea of going together and hanging out and doing that together was, you know, very, very alluring for me to, to have that, you know, and, and maybe have him kind of get into the hobby that I've enjoyed so much for so long, you know? That, that's a thrill, isn't it? I mean, honestly, that really is, because uh, when I went to MegaCon there a few months back, um, I took my youngest boy, Logan, 
and uh, we just had a blast. And I, I think he really got a kick out of it, although he didn't really know the people that I was so excited to, to meet and talk to. He was still very into the experience. And once I explained to him, you know, well, this is so-and-so that wrote this book, or this is so-and-so that drew you know, this, this story, he might not even know the stories necessarily, but he knows the characters and he knows the story lines because they've typically been adapted into say something like justice league or something like that. So he, he was very open to that. And that was a lot of fun for me as a, as a parent, you know, seeing him get excited to actually meet the people that make this stuff. And and I think it makes it more alive for the, for the kids. You know, they, they understand finally that this isn't stuff that just comes out of a machine somewhere. This is actually, you know, human beings sit down and labor over this. So yeah, I I know what you mean. That that is a very exciting thing as a, as a parent. Yeah. There's, 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 I get a, I almost look forward to punishing my, my son sometimes because when he doesn't have access to TV and video games, he comes down to the basement, he grabs a couple of my trades, mm-hmm. brings them upstairs, and starts reading through them. And I think, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, when, when he can't do those things, at least this is something he wants to do. Right. And, uh, you know, he's, he's starting to become, you know, aware of the different stories and character backgrounds. I mean, he gets more of it from movies and TV than from the books. But, hey, you know, however, however he gets there. I, I'm uh, hooker by crook. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I'm such a proud papa right now because uh, this was a couple weeks ago. Uh, Logan came in my comic room. We were just chit chatting, and up over my desk, re- where I'm sitting right now as we record, I have uh, Perez's Crisis poster, the the one that's the the wraparound cover to Crisis issue one. The painted one? Uh, no, no. This is the the one that's the actual cover to, to Crisis on Infinite Earths number one. The you know the wraparound uh-huh. cover with you know with all the Earths blowing up and the heroes are all out in space and Pariah's like grabbing his head and screaming and all that. Yes, and yes, he I know came in we, and we were talking about that and you know he was seeing if he could name all the characters and all that. And then at one point he just stopped and he was like, "I really want to read that." <laughs> and I was, it suddenly occurred to me that, yeah, you know, he knows so much about the story and everything. It could name the characters, but didn't know the story. So I, I scored him a copy of uh, of the trade that's all his own, that he can he can love and read and bend up and everything else. And uh, he's been plowing through that thing. He's having a having a blast. And he uh, he keeps telling me he's not exactly sure what's going on, but he's having a lot of fun reading it. So, yeah, I, I like that. I like that a lot. It's, Your uh, oldest son is uh, a little into it also, isn't he? Didn't he do uh, a little podcast se- uh, segment himself? On he did. Con? It was he on. Did. It was on video games more. Yeah. Than- he uh, he he likes comics. You know, he's into the characters and all that. But he's much more one of these. You know, when it when it, if it involves reading, he's a he's a well. I'll just wait for the movie kind of guy. So. He's very into the characters, and he loves like the different animated series and stuff. We've been watching uh, Young Justice together and stuff. And the one we watched today, I can't remember what the name of the episode was, but it was fantastic. It was the one with the with the giant plant creatures and the uh, the secret society. And we were just having a ball watching that with for all the cameos that were in that episode, and we were like kind of one upping each other every time there would be a new character who could name him fastest, you know and there's there's a lot of like really obscure characters in there because there was uh like Icon from the um 
that imprint from with Wildstorm? Wildstorm, that was it. Yeah, with the, Milestone. With the, Milestone, that was it. Yeah, with the uh, uh, ethnic characters and you know stuff like that. So that was a lot of fun. So he really knows the characters and he knows a lot of the storylines, but not necessarily having having read the actual issues. He uh, he's got a collection of those. Uh, uh, I think they're called definitive guides. You know where they cover like different characters and different teams and stuff. He likes to read that kind of stuff. He'll read the the more technical where it like lays out like the histories of the characters, but you don't necessarily have have, have to have read the actual stories. For some reason, he prefers that stuff. So he's very knowledgeable on the characters that way. And it's it's weird. It's 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 both you know it makes me very proud, but it's also a little bit aggravating that he knows more about certain characters, like say the Hulk than I do because he's read through something like these definitive guides and so he knows more of the characters right and storylines and yeah. everything. Yeah. Whereas I've read the actual stories but don't know as much information as what he's gotten from reading those things. So it's really cool. But yeah, ever since he was little he's liked stuff like that. He uh he would rather read something like uh like Marvel Universe or something rather than read the actual stories. Uh, I think that was the name of that series. No, Marvel Saga. That was the name of it. The Marvel Saga where it like laid out the history of Marvel like in a, like in a timeline you could follow. He, he likes stuff like that, which is really cool. It just It's one of those things that kind of makes me scratch my head. It's like, why wouldn't you want to read the actual story? You know, but he, he seems to like the, the technical you know, laying out of the of the story in, in a in a prose format rather than actually plowing through the that's stories a, themselves. Encyclopedia version of yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Right? Encyclopedia version. Yeah. I like exactly those it. but I like those things. There's something about those that pushes like the collector gland in, in you, you know, where you right. have where it's like having a, a a case full of action figures, you know. Exactly. You have the whole you have the Marvel Universe A to Z, so you can go and reference. References are cool, you know. I I, I really like get into reference material too. Well, I always like me. Uh, like the big thing when I was a kid, if I had a reference thing, and my one of my big references, uh, I know Michael was big on too, is the Superman from the 30s to the 70s. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, uh, definitely. That's that was I I got that when it was brand new. Uh, and you'd see, like, they some of them they'd have full issues, but some of them they just had covers, uh, or they'd make reference to a por- portion of a book. But those things would also all of a sudden become, like, the thing you wanted. You'd see part of it in there, and, and if you could get the real issue or the full issue, you know, that was something you'd, you'd go after. Right, so I always right. love those really, reference materials. It's really funny you say that, is because I recently completed my Bronze Age action collection, Mm-hmm. And there's a, a bunch of issues in the very early part of that that I had read in from the 30s to the 70s, and now I have the actual issue with the cover, and it's really weird. Is that the Kryptonite No More uh, issues? Uh, I do have that. Uh, it also has the Superman You're Dead, 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 which mm-hmm. is, uh, I think, my favorite story from that volume. And the one where... Clark gets the job as the traveling reporter and he's following the bands and the guys it's, it was called the Pied Piper of steel. And that's not, and that has like a cover on it that it's like, wow, that doesn't really match the story at all, but it's neat to have the cover in my Mm -hmm. hands and just to be looking at it. So I know exactly what you're talking about that, like the reference materials like that. And then also 
back in the day when they used to have the footnotes on things and they'd yeah. reference something and then they'd say, you know, as seen back in issue 85. And then if somehow you were able to get a hold of issue 85, you know, that was Nirvana. That you, you know, oh, wow, now yeah. I'm going to to read it for myself instead of just hearing somebody reference it, you know? Dude, they, I'm telling you, comic companies, they don't know what they're missing in sales with that because I, I would easily imagine that a lot of it's, comic people are just like I am in the sense of they're, they're, they're anal retentive and they're completists. And it seems like every time lately that I'm reading some old issue and it references something else, then suddenly I've got to have the story that it's referencing and I'm finding my, you know, I mean, that's actually how I kind of, when I got into comics and they still had footnotes, I mean, when I got into comics, I, I cared about two things only. And that was star Wars and Superman and just getting into Superman and those footnotes, you find yourself branching out and, and finding, you know, all over the place. Yeah, yeah. And the next thing you know, you're collecting everything from everywhere. Those footnotes were a great, great tool for sales that, that's and a good I point yeah understand and why the hell they don't do that these days well and nowadays comics are so complex with the storylines that you could have you could footnote a lot and really get people absolutely and plus plus going out and finding that back issue is a lot easier these days so mm -hmm. they probably would have a lot more success doing well, that. especially with it being in trade mm -hmm. i mean i can understand yeah. the the argument with them not wanting to say you know they don't want your trade to look quote unquote unprofessional or comic booky because it has a footnote in there. But, you know, change the footnote when the story goes to trade. So rather than saying, you know, for the rest of this story, see, you know, Sponge Man number, you know, 57, change it to, you know, look for, you know, this trade on sale now at your local, you know, Barnes right. and Noble or whatever and give the name right. of the trade that the story is in. But at least help me out. At least give me somewhere to go. Don't make me wonder what the hell is this character talking about? I don't know what he's referencing, and that's especially how I when feel you can when I... you, yeah, you can fill in the the reader and sell a back issue. What what yeah? What exactly. doesn't work about that? The, the ironic thing about it is, back when they used to put the footnotes, they didn't have trades, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they didn't make money on the back issues. Mm -hmm. You know, the, yes, the, the that's brick a good and mortar point. stores made the money, that's and that's when they were promoting point. it. Yeah, you're right. So. It, it seems like it's bad business to not do it now. It even, is. even if you don't want it to, if you don't want it to seem like you said, Scott, you don't want it to look comic booky. Then have some sort of a, a, a an asterisk or whatever, and then have it refer to the letters page where you put your uh, your actual footnotes there as right. to what issues you're talking about. Well, they could. It they doesn't could have to be on the page. The, uh, uh, who is the writer? Ah, oh, shit. Is it Mark Wade that wrote the Avengers? That twelve issue Avengers. Avengers forever. Forever, that yes. was uh, yes. Kurt Busiek and Kurt Roger Stern. Busiek, that's right. And in the back of that thing, um, the last page in that was like a page by page, sometimes panel by panel reference material where you could find everything that was referenced in that story because the scope of that thing was so massive. I mean, it was a twelve issue uh, maxi series that basically was one big continuity fix. And there was a million little moments throughout the course of that thing where I could easily see somebody that would pick that up and read it would want to know, 
wait a minute, where the hell did Lex Luthor and Dr. Octopus ever team up? And there was a footnote in the back where you could find out, you know, there was, there was reference. I could see that being at the back of a trade. You know, if you want to know more about, you know, what Green Lantern was talking about on page 33, panel two, you know, you can find that in this trade on sale now at your local whatever. And why the hell don't they do that? Because nothing, in my opinion, nothing is more off-putting in the world of comics than when you feel lost, when you feel like there's, there's you know, a, a, a secret language being spoken that you're just not privy to, you know? And, and I think that's a lot of the reason why sales are not where they need to be, which is actually, that's something I wanted to talk to you guys about. Seems to me that con attendance, especially for com, you know, comic cons, is going up and up and up all the time. Yet comic book sales are going down and down and down. What the hell is going on? What are, what are people do- doing at these cons? What are they buying? What are they there for? And I, I just kind of want to get your, your perspectives on that. What do you guys think? Oh, I don't think they're they're based on comics anymore. I think they're just the media around it and TV and movies dominate it now. Plain and simple. It's, it's, It's interesting the reports, at least out of San Diego, are that a lot of the movie companies are going to start de emphasizing at the cons because they feel for every bit of buzz that they've gotten on movies like Iron Man, they've gotten negative buzz on movies like Green Lantern. And. They start. They're starting to think that it's not worth to pushing their movies at the con because they might be getting overexposed too early. So they're not going to give as much as they were giving. At least I'm sure they're going to have some presence, but it's not going to be as big as it was. At least that's what they're talking about. Whether that happens, I don't know. We'll believe it when I believe it when I see it. <laughs> the temptation for them to promote is so high that we'll see how much um, restraint they can use. Well, do we want to take a little break and then we'll come back with uh, Michael's con report and we'll do uh, top five and get Chris to read? How does that sound? Sounds good to me. Works for me. Get, All right. get Chris to read. I do <laughs> sound it out pretty good. <laughs> I am hooked on phonics. And that All right. program really, really, really worked out for you, too. Reading is fundamental. <laughs> Fun for demental. gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman The Superman Podcast Network dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman Golden Age Superman The Superman Fan Podcast Superman in the Bronze Age From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. I've got a few things to say about Superman. The Superman Vidcast, the world's best podcast and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com as well as the audio dramas Superman, Last Son of Krypton and Supergirl, Last Daughter of Krypton from Hinden Audio Productions. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, 
Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co-host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. I sense a disturbance in the force. You always sense a disturbance in the force. We're doomed. I don't like this. No! Really pissed me off. Star Wars Monthly Mondays, available the first Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Okay, welcome back to Comics Monthly Monday, and next up, Michael Bailey is going to tell us about his uh, recent visit to the uh, Atlanta, what is that called, Atlanta Comic? Atlanta Comic Convention. Comic Convention, okay, there, there's some... Find out the Atlanta Comic Convention. convention. <laughs> AtlantaComicConvention.com, which takes place at the Century Boulevard Marriott, located uh, just on the north side of Atlanta. About every three months or so, three or four months. Uh, I always look forward to them, mainly because I get to hang out with my buddy Garrett. But also because you never really know what's going to be there. Uh, they have a few dealers that are perennials. Uh, Earl is always there. My buddy Rudy always has a table in the corner where he sells his nudie mags. Nice. Which is, which is true. He sells a lot of Betty Page stuff. Um, <laughs> and other kinds of things. Uh, this time out, uh, we got up there a little later than I wanted to, but that's usually what happens. Um, okay, uh, I'm going to get this part out of it, out of the way. I was trying to figure out if I wanted to go into the books that I got and the deals that I got, or if I wanted to go on my tirade. Tirade. I think we all know what, what you should, which road you should take. Uh, dear fellow comic book fans... <laughs> may not know me. My name is Michael Bailey. I'm one of you. I love comics. I love watching movies about comics. I love the action figures. I love the trading cards. I love all the stuff that uh, that goes along with it. But you know what else would I like? I like to fucking bathe. <laughs> oh my god. Jesus. It was the worst it has ever been made only even worser, which I know is not a word, but that's how emphatic I am about this, by the fact that the air conditioning wasn't really working right. Oh. So it was incredibly hot in this large, spacious room, and it smelled like ass left out in the sun with yogurt <laughs> and, like, milk. Oh. I mean, there was... Hey, hey, I'm, I'm, gonna... here, I'm eating here. 
I'm going to cut in on you for just a second, Mike. I'm eating a peanut butter to sandwich, too. I was talking about all the free stuff they were giving away. Most of it was media-related, but there was one woman who was giving out free samples of deodorant. Oh. <laughs> I found that very amusing. And, and toilet paper, Andy Kaufman style. That's, that's yep. what Jerry Lawler should have been given out, is toilet paper. See this? This is toilet paper. You use it to wipe your ass. I think they should have been given out deodorant and toilet paper in Atlanta, apparently. Mm. There, my friend Garrett got up that morning, ran three miles, went to the grocery store with his wife, did another errand, was at the show ten minutes after it opened, and he still managed to shower. I don't understand what this mentality is with comic fans, that they don't think that maybe at least putting on a little cologne might improve the situation. All right, just playing Wash. devil's advocate, though, do you think it's just the comic fans, or is it the fact that you also live in, you know, in, in, <laughs> I hate to say it, you know, you live in the Atlanta area, you know? The hillbillies and personal hygiene don't don't go together all that well either, you know what I'm saying? No, because, because Dragon Con has people from all over the world, and it smells like ass there, too. <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, <sighs> only in certain places. It's the places where the girls don't go. Yeah, like the gaming popped, room. My wife popped in and said something very similar to, uh, mm. "Yeah, the gaming room is apparently apparently they go in there with a hazmat team oh. after uh, after the con's over." But I, but I'm serious. I don't understand it. I don't understand this mentality. It is amongst the comic fans, at least in this area, that they get up for these shows. And getting to the show is apparently so important that they miss that crucial step. And here's the point. I don't care about your own personal thing. I don't care, you know, if you get scabies. You know, I don't give a shit, you know, what you not bathing does to you. But, dude, it pisses me off because I'm there to look it's for It's almost like comics. assault. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, a... it's just like I don't want to – I was – I'm sorry about this, Scott – I was looking through one of the $2 boxes, and this dude literally smelled like cow shit. <laughs> like, like very specifically, because I've smelled cow shit in the wild. So, I know, and it's just like, how do you get to the point where you even smell like that? It's not bathing for a There's a lot of people who I think are so socially... I, I, I want to say socially awkward to be nice, but let's just say socially retarded. Because they, yeah. they they sit they sit in their room and they yes. they read comics and they play World of Warcraft all the time and they don't socialize with people in real life so they don't and they're sitting in sort of in their own stank and in, in a stanky ass farty you know fast food fill fast food bag filled room for months and months and they sort of lose their perspective of. You know, it's time to go out to the comic place. Well, they're just, they're going there. They're not thinking, maybe I'll meet a girl. They're just like, maybe I'll get some cheap comics. They're not going to think about cleaning right. up. They're, screw it. They're just going out there. They're, they're in their own world. They're not thinking about well, see the, the, anybody else. And they, they, they probably don't smell it. Right. I'm not you saying it's, I'm, I'm, it's, it's an excuse. I'm saying it's a horrifying reality. It's just like, I, you know, I'm married 17 years. I'm not going out looking to meet any girls. I bathe before I leave the house. Yeah, it's a common right. courtesy. <laughs> you know? so it, it's a common courtesy that that we who interact with the general public and or you know understand 
interacting with the general public, you know, pay to other people in the hopes that they'll repay it to us. It's a common courtesy to your own body. Don't you feel disgusting if you don't take a shower? I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it's just normal. Well, the thing to me is that, you know, you know me. I'm 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 not a politically correct guy. I, you know, I, I'd be the first one to to admit, and I'm not proud of it. But I kind of like stereotypes, to be perfectly honest. I know that's probably rude, but I do, except when they're applied to me. Now, I'm usually the first one to want to defend my people. You know. <laughs> Well, thank you, know, you for I your mean, honesty, Mr. I, I, Gardner. I'm just being honest here, you know. But <laughs> it, it pisses me off when they're applied to me. It's one of the reasons I, I cannot fucking stand that that stupid uh, uh, Big Bang Theory show because it pisses me off. But, you know, there's a certain amount of that stuff that's on there. Unfortunately, the, the stereotypes that they're perpetuating, uh, yeah, exactly. They exist on there for a reason. And that's why I've made up my mind, and I think Michael and I talked about this not long ago, that, you know what, I'm going to stop curbing my natural tendencies, and from now on, when I go to one of these conventions or whatever, and I'm exposed to a condition like this, I'm just going to turn around and go, dude, you are one stinky motherfucker, go take a goddamn bath, because you are helping to perpetuate this fucking stereotype that I can't stand. You Uncle Tom motherfucker, get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Amen to that, brother. I, I hate to I hate to say this, but we kind of got to police our own. Yes, yes. I mean, it, it's like, and and like I said, it's not that I give a shit that. Sometimes you got to be cruel to be kind. <laughs> yes. That stinky McPoopy pants next to me. <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh. I apologize. I hate laughing at my own jokes. No, that was fun. But. But you know, stinky McPoopy pants next to me. You know, it, it, it's a, it's like Chris said. It's kind of an assault. I mean, it's just like Jesus. What are you? We live in the 21st century. We have running water and indoor plumbing. You know, exactly. there are products out there that you use to bathe with, and then there are products you put on after you get out of the bath to make sure you don't smell like ass later. I know it's hot in here. When I went in there, I had an overshirt on. I had a black t-shirt and like a little denim button down. And I took the button down off pretty quick because it was hot. And it was just, and I realized, God, it's really hot in here. I'm kind of sweating. And then I'm like, well, thank God I have deodorant on All that right. I bathed today because the guy sitting next to me is not going to get a whiff of mic funk. But here's, here's a- when I knew it was going to be bad. Walking down the hallway to get to the ballroom where this thing takes place, it's a very shining type ballroom. I swear to God, one day I'm going to be walking out of there and there's going to be two twins sitting at the end going, come play with us, Mike, forever <laughs> and ever and ever but we got con funk with there like halfway into the hotel before we even got into the ballroom (laughs) and i'm just like what the hell is going on and the only thing that made up for that because because it was so hot because it smelled like ass in there i got like a headache really quick yeah and it was just terrible what made up for this? Dude, there were so many dollar boxes in there. It's not. <laughs> <a good thing. laughs> 
Now, you no, know, I, I know you the just had to hang the comics about... out on the line for a couple days, you know, to air them out before you <laughs> bag them and board them. But I know the room you're talking about, and it's a mystery to me why they don't pull the same trick there that they do at Dragon Con with the gamer room that's downstairs. It, it's like the fucking Arctic down there. So why don't they pull the same trick and just crank the AC in there because I mean mm-hmm. that room's not that I mean in fairness to my brother and sister geeks that stink you know it it's a small enclosed space and you know you get that many people in a small space you know it's gonna get warm in there and I mean I know that the, the <laughs> last couple of times I went to that thing at the end of all of my brothers and sisters who stink <laughs> stink you know but at the end of those cons, I mean, I was sweaty and everything. I mean, I don't think I stunk because, you know, as you say, I took a shower. I had yeah, well, it and everything, but still. And, and I mean, your shit don't stink anyway. It doesn't, but <laughs> fuck you. Roses. <laughs> I'm just saying there are solutions to this problem. Yes. <laughs> and the first all- step is... Soap on skin with water. Right. Now rub soap, now. rinse off, repeat. Maybe when we get when we get a whole bunch of these these um because remember you know we're 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 trying to put together this whole giant nerd gathering at the next Star Wars what is it Star Wars celebration? Mm-hmm. And um, maybe when we all get get all the nerds together, we can film uh, an instruct an instructional video <laughs> on how to how to with any of you guys. I just, N- no, I'm we will fil- we'll right film it. There. We'll film it like one of those fifties, you know, fifties. Yeah. I mean, come on. We'll potentially have the hair metal hero and Scott there. We'll have perfect before, and then. Hey. Then we've got me and Mike for after. Yeah, you're the after photos, <laughs> all right. Yeah, I'm after of something else, of other things. <laughs> after a horrible industrial accident. So, it's <laughs> a mechanical so price picker. <laughs> you guys make it really hard to follow. I just want you to know that. Um, beyond being like completely offended by my fellow man, which I am on a daily basis anyways. Um, the show was great and kind of depressing at the same time. Uh, it was great because really the show's kind of hit and miss. There is no consistency outside of Earl. Earl's a guy that buys collections cheap and he'll go through them and anything that's in really good condition Uh, that's like a key issue he'll throw up on like a rack behind the booth. And if it's like a 70s era book or like early 80s and it's worth some money, he'll throw it in the $5 bin. Everything else goes into a $2 bin. And the great thing about that is you can find some really great key issues for like two bucks. I picked up in the $2 bin... Justice League of America number 171 and number 172, which was the Spirit King JLA JSA crossover. I got so both when issues. Mr. Terrific got killed? Yes, I got both both issues for four bucks. I got an issue, it's kind of beat up, but it's Superman Family number 187, which has like the two Superman on the cover coming out of a big Superman's crotch. Uh, <laughs> I got I got that for two bucks. But out of the five dollar bin. 
I got a really nice copy of Superman Family 173 and three issues of Legion of Superheroes from like the Mike Grell era, 222, 223, and 247, which are all mint condition. I've never seen the books that look this nice uh, of my Legion collection. I got those for five bucks a piece. So he's always there. But beyond that, you've got a couple dealers that do, um, that do do like they have like Silver Age books, uh, Bronze and 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 Copper Age, I guess, which is what the '80s is called, and they're all full price. So you're you might be able to work out a deal with them, but you have to like buy a bunch of stuff. There's a guy that has five dollars trades. Uh, my the guy that runs the comic shop I go to, Dave. Mm-hmm will either bring his 50 cent books or he'll bring his $3 books. So, and and then you've got like this one guy, forget the name of the store, but all of his stuff is extremely expensive, but it's pre- in pretty decent condition. So if you're looking to fill in that hole in your Tomb of Dracula collection, um, you know, just prepare to pay some money. And there's a dude who sells Star Wars action figures, which Scott will tell you are extremely overpriced. Uh, but he does have a nice Star Wars sheets set from the 70s as like on the display table. Yeah, that but, guy does have some good stuff. I know the guy you're talking about. But other than that, you know, there's not too many cheap books. This time, holy crap, there is a place called Heroes and Dragons, which I believe is out of South Carolina or North Carolina. They brought and filled their several tables with this collection that's been sitting that they had just purchased that they didn't have room for in their um, in their warehouse. Everything in this box was a dollar. So I picked up uh, Legion of Superheroes two thirty six, which has an awesome cover. Scott, you may know the issue I'm talking about. Chris, you may know too. I don't know how familiar you are you are with Legion, but it says superhero action, outer space adventure, and young romance. Yes, and, and it they has all have like the logos. logos. Yes, yes, I love that issue because the yeah. I think that's the one that has the Monel battle in it that I like. Mm-hmm. So it's like a Monel solo story. It's a great issue. I got that for a dollar. Oh, you like bastard. Superman Spectacular for a freaking dollar. I got Adventure Comics number 435. Uh, in the late 70s, Adventure Comics for six issues ran Superboy stories. And I had every one but this one. It got that for a freaking dollar. A uh, couple variant covers for Infinite Crisis that were black and white ones that were pretty cool. And there was a series called Breach that came out in like a year or so before Infinite Crisis in like 2005. Yeah, I've got and a this run of that and have never read it. Do you know if it's any good? I have no idea. I just needed it for my collection, <laughs> and it was a dollar a piece. See, I, I didn't want to pay full price for these things. Right. But, no, I got one, issues 1 to 10, a buck a piece. I got Dark Stars number 25, which I have never been able to find anywhere for a dollar. And then I moved on to some other uh, booths. There was another dollar uh, booth where I got a Secret Society of Supervillains number 13 and the 1977 special for a buck and 
the first Perez Justice League of America. Not the best condition, but dude, it was a freaking dump. Which issue is that? One eighty four. Yeah, is that part of that, yeah, yeah. Is the, that, part of that uh, Yeah, yeah. Man, so I picked that man that one up for a freaking buck. And then at a fifty cent box, uh, a, a fifty cent box, I got about ten issues of Burns Blood of the Demon series. Uh, that came out right before Infinite Crisis as well. So it's like everything was cheap. But here's where I kind of felt like I wish I would brought some more money because I went back and started looking through the uh, Heroes and Dragon dollar boxes. You know that storyline where Batman supposedly killed Talia al Ghul? That no, was in I, there. I didn't hear about this. Was this recent? No, remember? Batman shoots her on the cover. You're the one who sent oh, me. Oh, like, I know the one you're talking. The Batman uh, murderer story. Yeah, yeah, okay. That was all in the dollar box in good condition. Wow. There were entire runs of '70s and '80s Avengers, '70s and '80s Hulk, just all kinds of DC, all for a buck a piece. And I'm like, you know what? It smells like ass in here, but I'm getting some good deals. So who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah, I got most of those books cheaper than you did, Mike. Because I bought most of them on the stand when they were new. Oh, oh, aren't you old? Um, <laughs> That's what you're making me feel here. I mean, oh, this book from the 70s, that book from the 70s, I'm thinking, God, I'm old. Um, last book I found, which was kind of exciting, was Legion of Superheroes number 52. This was the Baxter series that started in 84. <laughs> that was the last issue of that particular run that I needed. And it was sitting there in a dollar box. And I was kind of kicking myself because it had some earlier Legion books, like before, it uh, after it was Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes and before it became Tales of mm -hmm. the Legion of Superheroes. They had a bunch of those, but I didn't have any of the issues I needed with me. And I was just kind of pissed at myself because I was like, God, I could have uh, deleted everything. That's the Keith Giffen era, I think. Yeah. A little before that. Oh, okay. Uh, but here was the depressing part. The $2 bins, I found an entire run of Crisis on Infinite Earths in there. Wow. And I'm like, you know, at least seven should be worth some money. You know? <laughs> the Death of Supergirl should still be worth at least like 5 to $10. What a Death of the Flesh. Oh, yeah. But I was leafing through a, a box... And I saw Crisis number one, and I was like, Crisis two, Crisis three. It's like, holy crap, somebody could buy the entire thing for 24 bucks. That's amazing. But it was depressing because it brought home to me that in this area that I live in, in Georgia, the back issue market has plummeted. Dave's, the shop I go to, has been buying collections cheap for most of the year, which is good for me because I'm getting a lot of the books I need for like 2 to $3 a piece. But holy crap, what, gone are the days where these books were really worth something. Uh, well, I, I feel I, mercenary picking them up sometimes, but then I get over Everybody that. who wanted them got them, apparently. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I would use... Crisis as as you know indicative of of how all, uh, but I know what you're saying though. But in in the case of Crisis, I think it's just a matter of not only have they 
reprinted the hell out of that story in recent years. But, you know, with the new direction DC's taken and then, you know, they've got their idiot CEO going on whatever it was, Twitter or whatever, and saying that now crisis never happened. I think it just hasn't helped that story. You know, there's not a whole lot of people that are out there, you know, hunting it down and chasing it down as, you know, this is the jumping on point for their universe like it has been for the last 20 years. Now it's been officially deemed irrelevant. So, yeah, I, I would think that. That's just a sign of of that. What I don't know. What do you, you think? You, you could top that off with the fact that since Crisis came out, it was so well done and so revolutionary. But since then, they've done Zero Hour, Infinite Crisis, and Final Crisis, mm-hmm. none of which were anywhere near as good as Crisis. But it almost diluted the market that yes. people were thinking, "Oh, they're they're all the same," and they're not the same. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the perception. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, I've seen that in evidence, you know, over the last, say, 20 or so years where, you know, more and more uh, of the younger fans are, are coming up and they're, they're discovering crisis or hearing about crisis. And I'm hearing them say that they just don't get it. You know, it's like, oh, what's the, what's the big deal with this story? And I'm like, really? And I think it's what you're saying, that, that it's been kind of watered down by the repetition, you know, by the, the uh, poor imitations that have been out there that have kind of chipped but, away at its special status to where someone coming in now might not see it as any big deal. The sad thing about that, though, is that people are still, you know, pulling out contemporary stories from when Crisis came out and saying how revolutionary they were, like Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns are always lauded as, like, these were game changers. And it's like, you know what? Crisis may have not have been officially the first company-wide crossover, but holy crap, it was heads and tails above Secret Wars, both in terms of writing and art. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, not even close. Yeah, Perez with Giordano, and then Perez with Ordway. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those things. I, I recently picked up pretty cheap on ebay the first hardcover edition of crisis on infinite earths uh with the slip case and the super death of supergirl poster mm-hmm. uh, and i'm kind of pissed at myself because the guy when he put it in the the mm-hmm. like magazine bag he put it in a little bit of tape got on the bottom of it and oh. i didn't know it was there and that silver oh. veneer is paper and it tore off on the bottom now oh. you can't see it but I was like kicking myself because I was so pissed. But I opened that thing up because I had never seen that version of the of the hardcover. Now I got the absolute, which is very impressive with the recoloring and all that. But looking at this hardcover, you can see how special this story is, mm-hmm. just in terms of the care that went into the look of the book. Now the story can kind of goes up and down for me. There are some parts that I really like. and But I, that crisis as a series is very slow to start. But once it starts, it doesn't stop. I think once you get to issue five, it's on fire and never looks back. Uh, those first four issues can be kind of a slog to get through sometimes. Just in terms of everything they have to set up for the rest of the story to work. So it's, it's not like it's bad. It's just there's a lot of exposition thrown in there that um, th- that um, that needed to get out of the way. Plus, 
uh, Perez came on as plotter, co-plotter with Wolfman at about the fourth issue mark, and that's when the story started to pick up, and I think Wolfman just needed somebody, you know, to kind of help him with the plot, because it was such a complex and vast story. It's not like, you know, 12-issue storyline of Ant-Man, you know, you know, going through his personal crisis. No, this was reorganizing an entire universe, uh, multiverse even, of characters. So, um, but it, it's just... I. Part of me is like, well, these kids today won't understand it. But on the other part, it's like, well, this should be the one they do. This should be the exception to the rule. Right. You know, I'd, I'd mm. almost say, tell me you don't get Man of Steel and why it's important over Crisis on Infinite Earths. Because at least with Man of Steel, they've done the origin so many times in the past 10 years alone that that can seem very watered down. But Crisis was like it. Crisis was the game changer for DC. It was the line in the sand. It was their Rubicon. They're like, you know, from here on out, we're doing things different. So it was. It just kind of depressed me to see it in a two dollar bin. <laughs> Wish I had an extra twenty four dollars. I could sell it on eBay. <laughs> yeah, that was mean. I know, but I was trying to bring the room back up. No, really good show. Uh, <laughs> Really, I stayed a lot longer than I thought I was going to, and I looked through, I looked through more books than I have in a really long time, uh, because when I go to a convention, I want to, I don't really want to pay a whole lot of money, and apparently that's indicative of Atlanta as a comic shopping community. We like the cheap books. But I think we all like the cheap books. <laughs> I, I, I know I'm speaking for myself. That's kind of the reason you would go. I mean, go, looking for expensive stuff, you could go to eBay in your comic shop. You know, mm -hmm. you're looking for bargains there. You're looking for, you know, just to, to stock up on some stuff, you know. But I filled some holes. I completed some con collection. <laughs> I filled some holes. <laughs> you said. pervert. Uh, Rock on, man. <laughs> I, I completed a few collections. I, I, I knocked out a little more of my Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes uh, run, which uh, which I've been trying to work on lately. Now I just got like the pre-200s to worry about, uh, which is kind of cool. So really successful show. Worth the three bucks it cost me to get in. Too bad it... Wow, three bucks. You can't beat that. Yeah. Well, you can because for a while there I was getting in free because they were because uh, Garrett had snapped up a bunch of free passes at various other shows and stuff. So you still should be getting in free. You're Michael Bailey. <laughs> Don't you yeah. know who I am? Aren't you listed on the uh, flyer? No. Come meet Michael Bailey. No, but like if you were uh, a zombie. Not extra, yet. If you were a zombie extra in The Walking Dead, you got your own freaking table. So, <laughs> not kidding. Every so show. So, next time there's a con, let's just dress up as zombies and say we were extras on The Walking Dead. Who's going to know? <laughs> oh, some of these guys, the way they smelled. Exactly. <laughs> with being extras. They might already have been, yeah. They might have been auditioning. That might have been their way of like trying to make an impression. I will say one more thing. Scott, it really wasn't the same without you. 
Aww. I know I miss going to that thing. I, I really do. I like that. Uh, I like that convention because you know that one's purely about back issue hunting, mm-hmm. and it's really it's it's nice to go with somebody who you know knows your interests and has similar interests so that you know you, you can oh we were wingmen got each, each other's other. yeah, right. exactly. yeah yeah I like that that one like it was just like you looking for this no I'm not looking for that but thanks it's just like God we found crap for each other that entire month. Oh, exactly yeah. there. have you ever read this this oh yeah I like that you know I I love shit like that and I I miss that a lot I haven't really been to a convention like that since so yeah I know I wish I, I wish I could make it up there for that. Maybe maybe I can plan that in the near future. Maybe next time they they've got something like that because I, I know my my wife's been missing her folks that still live up there in Georgia. So maybe I, I think can February is it. February should be the next show, like the beginning of February. Yeah, I might have to, I have to see if I can work on that. Say, hey, honey, uh, yeah, how, how about we go visit your folks? So how about you visit your <laughs> folks, and I'll go to the comic convention. So I like this idea. Bring the boys. Exactly. Make a day of it. I like. Then go hit Book Nook afterwards. Yeah, I like that place. So where do we want to go from here, fellas? Do we want to go into? uh, I had a. I had actually a small stack of uh, newbie stuff I got this uh, this past month myself. I wanted to run through real quick if uh, if we feel like we have time. Just kind of my little. You're the one who's got to edit this one, man. Yeah, so that's hey, true. It's <laughs> you call it. I'm 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 down for whatever you guys want to talk about. <laughs> well, let me see. I actually I'm gonna cherry pick this. I'll I'll save everything to talk about uh, next time around. I'll just keep a little pile here. But one thing I did get, and this spins purely out of Comics Monthly Monday. Uh, you know, several episodes back, we uh, we took a look at uh, that Hercules miniseries, and we were yeah. a little bit about uh, the original Bob Layton ones, you know, the two little miniseries that made us interested in Hercules in the first place. I had no idea that, you know, there, there was the original Bob Layton four-issue Hercules miniseries, and then there was another one about, what, about a year or two later, another four-issue yeah. that was a, kind of a follow-up that was really good. I didn't think it was as good as the original, but it was very good. It was in the same flavor and everything. I had no idea that there was actually a Hercules graphic novel. It was part of the Marvel graphic novel line uh, back oh. uh, in the 80s. This is basically part three. This this is I would have been all over that. Yeah. Well, I I recently nabbed this. Um, I paid a little bit more for it on eBay than I was really willing to pay for it, but it's because the guy had a bunch of great things listed, a whole bunch of really nice lots, and it was one of those things where. You know, the more you buy, you know, he'll cut you a really good break on the shipping and all that sort of thing. So I bid on several lots. Well, of course, this was the only one that I won, so I ended up paying a lot more for it than I really had intended to. It would have been cheaper, you know, had I won more stuff. Anyway, this was uh, Hercules, Prince of Power. It was the full circle graphic novel by Bob Layton. And uh, I would just say I, I would highly recommend this if you liked those original uh, four issue miniseries and everything. I enjoyed it a lot. It's really nice to see uh, Layton's Hercules come back. The the coloring is really nice. The paper quality is great. The art's fantastic, and 
it's nice and big because it's in the oversized graphic novel format and everything. Unfortunately, I didn't think the story was quite as good or quite up to par with uh, with the originals, but it's still a very interesting story with the basic premise of it being that at some point in those original uh, miniseries, one of the women that uh, Hercules had a little dalliance with ended up uh, having a son by Hercules that Hercules didn't know anything about. So he goes back to this planet years and years later, and the kid has grown up and become kind of a despot. And he and uh, Hercules end up fighting near the end of the story. And it was really good. You know, the, the fight part of it and that whole story where he was, you know, feeling badly that, you know, he had this son that basically grew up hating him and everything. I liked that angle of the story. So for that reason, I, I would recommend it. But again, just be forewarned that, uh, and at least in my, in my opinion, it wasn't quite as good as the, uh, the original minis that inspired it. But I just thought it was interesting that, I, you know, I had no idea this thing even existed. No clue. And it just, uh, I, I forget how I even learned of this recently, that there was actually a, basically a part three to that story. So, yeah, if you like the originals, check it out. It was actually kind of cool. But at this point, I think we should get into top five. Or what, what are we calling this thing now? We actually had a new name for it. What was it? Free- oh, I forgot. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, one of our listeners came up with a really good. It was like we the, are it awful. Was- the Freaky Five. I know. Shit like that. Something. It was like something like that, yeah. A really good name, and now I can't remember because it's late and I'm tired. I can't remember what the new name was, but it was something to that effect. But uh, the subject for this time around is our top five lame-ass villains. So uh, who wants to run? Actually, let's let Paul, our, our guest for this episode, we'll let Paul run first. Paul, give us your rundown. What are your top five lamest-ass villains? Okay, at number five, I have Eunice the Untouchable. Hmm. Basically, uh, I'm, I'm seeing him as being lame, lame because his power is you can't touch him. And, uh, you can't touch what, him. What, what exactly do you do with that? Is, is he MC Hammer or what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> R- now, who is this guy? He's from the X-Men. And basically, his mutant power is that he has a force field around him and that you can't touch him. Uh, that and he's been around sounds forever. Sounds like anus. Yes, that's true. Now, Mike, you mentioned earlier, and I agree, that uh, there really are no such things as bad characters. Uh, That if if a story is well-written, you could take the lamest character in the world and still make a good story out of it. And uh, there was a real good Eunice story, and I'm not sure who... Somebody talked about it on a podcast, and it may have even been you, Mike. There was one in Marvel Fanfare. I think that was Scott. uh, Oh, was it? Okay, maybe it was. It's been a while since I heard it, but there was the whole story where he basically couldn't control his power, and the blob was, you know, his partner, and he was, like, bringing him food, and he'd have to, like, fight to get close enough to him to get him his food and everything. So there have been some really good stories with him, but otherwise he's pretty lame, other than that particular story. He just stands there with his force field, you know, picks stuff up, and you can't punch him. And it's, uh, you know, just just terrible as far as I was concerned. So just go on to the next guy. Yeah, just keep running with it. <laughs> my, my number two is the Mandrill. Now, you got to remember, I'm mostly Marvel with uh, my things. Uh, 
but uh, his power is that basically uh, he he looks like a mandrel ape. He's a mutant, and he uh, has pheromones that make women do his bidding, which is kind of a cool power to have. But it's really really lame. Like they they even had him in uh, in Earth's Mightiest Heroes when all the villains escaped. Yeah, and, I remember that. And, and, I was like, and, wow, he sucks. What is he doing there? <laughs> exactly. But the the wasp was confronting him, and he started going into like his mating dance. And he was basically going to, I guess, spray her with his pheromones to take control. And then the other Avengers showed up, and he just meekly left with them. So that, that's how they captured him. So that was... Uh, wow, I, that's pretty lame. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. My next one is a combination. Uh, I'm going Marvel and DC. Basically, uh, two sides of the same coin on this one. Uh, the Royal Flush Gang on the DC side and the Zodiac on the Marvel side... And the reason I'm seeing them as lame is because I'm just kind of picturing as they're getting the gang together, you know, sitting there talking, okay, I'm going to be king, you could be ten. But why do I have to be ten? I, I want it to be king. What makes you king? You know, just things like that. You know, you you, you got to be Scorpio, but I don't like scorpions. Well, there's nothing else. That's it. we got 12, 12 spots, and you got to be Scorpio. <laughs> but I'm an Aquarius. We already have an Aquarius. <laughs> so Shut it's... up and tip your goddamn waitress. <laughs> 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 exactly. I keep picturing uh, Reservoir Dogs. Uh, next one is the Circus of Crime. Yes. Oh my God, they suck. <laughs> they, they really do. And, and we, we had this. Uh, me and one of my buddies at work, who was a uh, also a comic fan, we, we had this bit that we were joking around where, like, you're on a job interview and you're interviewing the ringmaster, and it's like, okay, so what's your power? And he just starts staring at you, trying to hypnotize you to get you to hire him. Just just really lame-ass stuff. I mean, other than stories that were done intentionally as a joke, poking fun at their lameness, has there ever been a good circus of crime story? Because I can't think of one. Uh, you got me stumped. I can't um, think of one. There is a good... Um, who was the hypnotist that led the circus of crime? Ringmaster. The Ringmaster. Ringmaster was part of the issue where Leonard Sampson merged the Hulks. Uh, and he was pretty cool on that. But yeah, other than that, Circus of Crime, pretty much. <sighs> they suck just about all the ass. They kind of have their own event horizon. They suck so <laughs> bad. So. So the, the, my next one on my list is Batrock Z Leaper. Oh, oh, you oh, shut oh, your oh, mouth. Come on. I like no, that. I, I know, I know, I know. He... he has a very nasty form of martial arts and all, but come on. He's presented so lame. Stanley never actually wrote him. You know, Thomas DJ is going to drive to your house and kick your ass. You <laughs> is he going to pull a Jay and Silent Bob and just like <laughs> come knocking on your door? Tom, Tom knows where to find me. Uh, <laughs> but but come on, they, they, they never actually wrote him using the form of martial arts that, that they... No, they didn't. I'll agree with you on that. They, they just, uh, you know, I guess Stan liked the name. So, you know, what was it? Savat? Savat. Yeah. Well, he, he probably looked up French martial art, and there it was. So, Yeah, but so, what does Savat have to do with leaping? It's, it's foot fighting, so obviously... I am Patrick Zelipper. And in, invariably, the story seemed to go where Batrock would be hired by somebody... But then 
two-thirds of the way through the battle realize that this is not the way to go and he'll end up teaming with Captain America to beat the guy who hired him in the first place. It was, it, they were terrible. And my last one on my list is another combination just because of uh, the way that they use their powers. It's Tarantula and Hammerhead. Because basically with Hammerhead, oh. either he runs into you with his head. Either, come on. Either he runs into you with his head or... If you're like shooting, he has to move his head in the way to block the bullets. Because otherwise, what the hell is he going to do to you? The guy's got to run at you like a battering ram, and he can't watch you while he's running at you because he has to be looking down. <laughs> so basically, you step aside, he steps in the wall, he, he runs into the wall, and you kick him in the ass as he's going by. <laughs> and the same thing with the tarantula. He's gotta, if, if he doesn't kick you with the tip of his foot, what the hell is he doing? I like him purely for the for the visuals because he's been on some yeah. really nice covers. But in fairness, yeah, I can't think of a story where he was actually worth a shit. He's he's just always had a great visual. And, and Hammerhead, and every, one I, visuals, every one of those visuals, he's leaping eighteen feet in the air so that he could be coming down at you with the, those right. spiked spiked shoes coming towards you. That's very true. And uh, Hammerhead, you know, now that I think about it, that I like him purely for sentimental reasons because one of the earliest uh, Spider-Mans I can remember reading as a kid was the whole uh, the thing where he was actually like a like a wraith where there had been like some nuclear explosion or something and he was haunting Dr. Octopus. Yeah. Do you remember oh, that yeah, story? That. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I got into Spider-Man just at the uh, issue where... Uh, Aunt May was marrying Doc Ock. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, oh, I remember that. Yep. Oh so that God. was that was probably about a year and a half later or so because he he eventually came into that story and was uh, made disembodied and then came back as Hammerhead's ghost until he became embodied again. And eventually they made him a little better because they gave him an adamantium skeleton. Right. You know, so that makes him a little bit more of a tougher customer to deal with. But when it, when it was purely just his head. And he was running at you with his head. I just thought that was very lame. Now, one of the last stories I read with him, he actually got killed. I, I want to say it was the Punisher. Somebody shot him in the head. Is, is he still dead or has he come back yet? Does anybody know? I haven't seen him in a long time. I, yeah. I, I, I don't recall him being around for I don't even know what while. the hell story that was. But I, I do specifically remember that somebody shot him in the head and, and killed him. But... You know, this being comics, I figured, well, he'll be back in a couple of years as soon as somebody wants to use him again. But yeah, if any, yeah, if anybody knows about that, write in and let me know. I'm just curious because, yeah, I, I don't know. I just I have kind of a soft spot for him. But you're right. He is pretty freaking lame. <laughs> I'm giving an honorable mention also. So I'm giving you six instead of five here because one of my Bonus. pet peeves is when the name, the real name of the character somehow miraculously uh reflects of their eventual superpower yes. or supervillainess. So I picked a lame villain who happens to have that. The villain is the owl who used to fight Daredevil a lot. Mm-hmm. Basically was a, a pudgy fat guy who could fly. And his real name was Leland Owlsley. Yes. Oh. Yeah, I hate that. There's so many villains like that, like T.O. Morrow and IQ and uh, Edward Nigma. And yeah, I, I hate that shit. Yeah, and he yeah, got, his, exactly got his powers when he was eating at Hooters one day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Hooters. <laughs> 
All right, who's I, going I have other next? Guys on my list, but no, but that's uh, you limited me to five, so I'll stick. No, with not that. I mean not at all. If you because I believe me, I have honorable mentions on my list. So uh, so yeah, if you've got more than five, throw them out there because I had trouble narrowing myself to five because let's face it, there's a lot of shit villains out there. So I'll go next, and I and I and I kind of did the same thing. I narrowed myself by picking one character. And going after his villains. Damn, that's uh, the same way I made my list. That's exactly me too. The same way, yeah. And I did, and I did the Flash. So my top five lamest Flash villains, in no particular order, uh, the Rainbow Raider. <laughs> it was a nice attempt in like the late seventies and early eighties to do an old school type rogue, but. His name is Roy G. Bevillo. Oh, <laughs> God. Yes. He was no. colorblind. No. Yes. <laughs> oh, um, man. Oh, you're the one who said there's no bad characters. <laughs> oh, no, I'm Roy- sure there is a writer that can make that character work. It just Yeah, hasn't but happened. Alan Moore doesn't count. Alan Moore can make that <laughs> idiot. I want to. I want to read Alan Moore's Rainbow Raider. I really want to read that. He would be gay probably, nowadays because I was, was just going to say. Dude, I hope that the Rainbow yeah, Raider. I it's, hope he really yeah. is gay. Otherwise, that dude's got to be mighty embarrassed. He could do. He could do a Rainbow Raider, Rainbow Bright team up. <laughs> Alan Moore, you can make it work. Come on. Um, there is Colonel Computron. <laughs> I don't even know that one. Ah, Dude in like sucks. computer armor and it sucks ass. <laughs> there is Big Sur. Yes. Oh. It's retarded. <laughs> that's a that's a porn name right there. He, he was just a big fucking That's the name of a dildo that you get at the at a porno <laughs> shop or something. Hey the honey, I brought the server. Big Sur home for you. <laughs> No, but Big Sir, he's Scott was Scott was about to describe him. He's absolutely right. He's this big dumb buck tooth guy that just stunk up the place every time. And it was basically kind of like Lenny from Of Mice and Men, where I if I'm remembering the story correctly, some villains convinced him that the Flash had killed a bunny. And that's why he went and beat up the flag. Well, here's the best way to sum this guy up. You know how the the, the Legion of Superheroes was really, 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 really big on statuary? And so you'd walk through Legion headquarters and there'd be all these statues of the Legionnaires and it would say something like super radiance or super invisibility or super strength for their powers. If they had one for Big Sur, it would basically say super retarded because that was pretty much his super Literally, He was right. like incredibly stupid. So yeah, that what a lame ass. You're right. Uh, we've got Chill Blaine who was basically the arm candy for the Golden Glider who was the sister to um, to Captain Cold and Chill Blaine used a Captain Cold like he sucked. He really wasn't around much, but he still ended up sucking so bad that you can't. You, 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 God, I hate to look at that <laughs> character. He and I was 
if if Jeff Johns gets uh, credit for anything, it's reinvigorating Wally West and the Flash franchise, and not only bringing back the old rogues as bad guys, but introducing new rogues as well. But they weren't all good. Uh, there's two in particular that I absolutely hate. One is named Girder, who was a steel worker that was involved into an accident, and now he's just a lump of metal that beats people up. <laughs> and then there's Murmur, who is a doctor that sewed his own mouth shut because he of his incessant talking. So he <laughs> kills people because of this. What and they asshole. tried to play it. They tried to play it like this deep, meaningful, like serial killer type thing. And every time I looked at him, I go, "Whatever." He, he's skinny and he doesn't talk. That's not a villain. That's a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, honorable mention goes also to Replicant, who was a character Mark Wade created in his set. Uh, there was his initial run on The Flash. He took a year off, uh, and then him and Brian Augustine came back to marry Wally West, and they introduced another Walter West from the from Hypertime, which was actually a really good story. Mm-hmm. I like that run. But right after that, he created a villain called Replicant that was basically a character that was all of the rogues' powers in one character. Kind of like so, a Bezo. Yeah, and it was just like, eh, no. No. Uh, just on the name alone, Double Down is also a uh, <laughs> a villain that I just don't give a crap about. I mean, like I said, you know, he John's introduced some interesting villains. I mean, his the, the new trickster, this punk kid, I actually kind of liked him because he was a punk kid. Um... But it was just like, wow, most of these guys kind of suck. So, yeah. Tar Pit. There's a character out there named Tar Pit. <laughs> I wonder if there's one named Armpit. Well, uh, I was thinking the same thing. That's the sad part of that, that Tar joke. Tar Pit and uh, Baby Doll, I... Batman the Animated Series, teamed up, had a kid, and we can't say the name <laughs> on the show. So... <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It was in that Disney movie they won't show either. <laughs> so, but that's all I got. I, I decided to pick on the Flash. So, have happy. Yeah, a lot of good characters with bad writers. That's what you had, right, Mike? Yes. And, <laughs> and yes. But and every single thing. one of them, there could be a good story. As if, uh, as they, if I, I didn't I make it clear from before, Chris, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sometimes you got to spell it out with me. <laughs> so I don't know. You want me to go next? Yeah, go Scott? ahead. Uh, all right. So I had, a, of course, as usual, I had a little process that I went through. At first, I was like, you know, I, I don't know enough about superheroes to really pick out five lamest ones without doing some stupid, like, Google search and 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 like cheating and putting in lamest supervillains and going through the list. So then I was like, but it doesn't say on the list that I can't make them up. So then I was going to make up some just like from whole cloth lame superheroes, which probably would have been really funny. But then I got too lazy to do that. And then I thought, where were there always shitty villains? 
and then I remembered Spidey's stupid stories. <laughs> but then I remembered, where were they even lamer than Spidey's stupid stupid stories? But the Electric Company, Spidey, oh, wow. bad guys. So I've got the top five worst Spidey stupid story Electric Company TV show um, super villains. And Mike, you might have a hard time. Str- nailing any of these into a good story. Oh, you just have to put, like, child rape in the background, and they'll be fine. (laughs) That's usually how DC works these days. All of these, when you hear their names, uh, could be, a lot of them do have names that could be the names of child rapists, now that you mention (laughs) it, Mike, and that's going (laughs) to add a level of humor to this uh, top five list. Okay, so number five is Blowhard. (laughs) <laughs> and and what the evil thing that Blowhard was going to do was he was going to huff and puff and blow down Trenton, New Jersey, which debatably might make him a superhero. I don't know. Do you have visuals on these guys, what they look like? I am going to try okay. to track down a, a clip from there's, you know, there's got to be at least some of these on YouTube. Of these, and I remember some of them. You, uh, you'll probably remember some of them. The, the, yeah, the top two lamest ones. I, re- I as soon as I read about them, I was like, oh, good lord! I remember this and thinking this was lame when I was a kid. All right, <laughs> number four is the mouse, and he's a an angry college student who dresses up in a mouse suit and wait for it. Steals cheese. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of good story potential there, Mike, if you got the right guy on it. Okay. Number three is The Tickler, which is also running on Mike. Is he French? (laughs) He's a failed comedian (laughs) who would make people laugh and then steal their money while they were laughing uncontrollably. So he's Robert De Niro in that Jerry Lewis film? He, I'm sure he was no Robert De Niro, although he might have been Morgan Freeman, for all I know, at the, you know, <laughs> at, at the electric company. Well, number number two. Sorry. I was just remembering this Morgan Freeman thing I, re- I saw recently on Facebook where it was Morgan Freeman, and the text was, white people, start narrating your own shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> number two. Now, see if you don't remember this guy, and see if you can't think of how to make him and in, 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 See if his name isn't a really obscene child rapist name. The Can Crusher. <laughs> now, do you guys remember what happened to the Can Crusher? This is a really sad origin story. The sad, the, the, the Can Crusher was a little kid and he had a favorite pet frog. And his pet frog hopped into the soup, soup company, soup factory, and got put into a can of soup. So he was going to grocery stores all his life, crushing cans of soup, trying to find his pet frog. Why he would try to free his fret- pet frog by crushing the can that he was in. But of course, Spider-Man stops him before he crushes too many cans. Thank God. <laughs> and number one is the Abominable Snowman, who in himself is not a lame villain, but this abominable snowman, you know, this is this is what he was doing to be a bad guy. Stealing ice cream. 
He, well, you're close. He was finding cold things and then sitting on them because it reminded him of his home. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought I remembered. I thought I remembered. Uh, and, uh, and you know that I shit does not, cannot stand. It had Chris, to be stopped. Uh, I, I did agree with Mike, and I'm over to your side now because mm-hmm. nobody's writing a good story about any of those guys. Thank you. Thank you. Especially not the can crusher. You know, see, I even really if you tried to make it some Crusher's origin would definitely involve like Alabama and a trailer, and so I'm just really surprised that that wasn't part of it. Well, and and, and he and he was the guy that crushed cans on his head, and one got embedded in there and gave right. him superpowers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. I'm really sad that we're all on the same level, on the same page with that. So <laughs> we suck. And if he and if he got into Star Trek: The Next Generation and raped underage boys, he could be the Wesley Crusher Can Crusher. <laughs> Wesley, you know the difference between your mother and the Prime Directive. I never violated the Prime Directive. <laughs> oh oh well, it's down to you. Unbelievably. All right. Well, I I thought that I had done my list the same way as Mike, but I misunderstood what he was talking about. Not all of my uh, choices here are from one superhero. What I did was I I basically thought of like my my favorites or like the what I figured were like the top heroes or the top teams and tried to like pick one lame ass villain from everybody. So each of them. Yeah. For number five, um, for say the X Men. Uh, I think this is actually goes with uh, X Factor. Unbelievably, or maybe not so, how weird is it that both Chris and I have somebody called Blowhard for our number five? <laughs> and I'm not sure. Especially since about... we happen to be a couple of Blowhards, too. That's... I'm not sure if we're talking about the same guy, but this guy was in X Factor. He was an X Factor villain for at least like one issue or something. And he was this big fat guy that kind of looked like the thinker, and he had a little Popeye pipe. And his superpower was that he blew through the Popeye pipe, and he could like I don't know, knock stuff over or something. Yeah, (laughs) fucking ridiculous. So my my backup, if in case we are talking about the same guy, is uh, another one that I find just amazingly lame, which was the Sugar Man, which was this. Big freaky, it's just like a giant head with little tiny spindly little arms and legs. Oh, was it Stanley Sugarman? <laughs> I knew him. He, he comes from the uh, Age of Apocalypse Age stories. Of Apocalypse, yes. He's, yes. he's from the Apocalypse Sugarman, right? <laughs> I, I know a bunch of them. I know his, 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 his sister Gracie. <laughs> Number four, I went with uh, one of my favorite heroes, Aquaman. I love Aquaman. I really do. But I think one of the reasons that he himself is often considered lame is he does have a lot, a lot of lame ass villains. Now, I thought about the fisherman who is one shit villain, but there's actually somebody that no I think is even worse than the fisherman. And that was <laughs> Captain Demo, not Captain Nemo, Captain Demo. And Captain Demo was an old school pirate guy who had this really cool 18th century pirate ship that he drove, get this, under the ocean. 
Nice. <laughs> underneath the ocean. It's like, how the hell does that work? Just, I mean, incredible. I don't think he's ever been in more than one story. The only redeeming quality was that he was illustrated by uh, Jim Aparo, so you know he at least looked really cool. But yeah, what a lame-ass villain. Uh, for number three, I went with the amazing Spider-Man. And in Spider-Man, again, you know, most of his rogues gallery is pretty cool. I would actually right. I would say that probably, in my book, Spider-Man probably actually has the coolest rogues gallery of anybody. Even like Batman, I think Spider-Man's better. However... He's, he's got some lame-ass ones. I thought about Mindworm, who always sucked. But really, the problem with Mindworm wasn't really his powers or anything. It was just the fact that he just looked flat-out... He was just kind of stupid and retarded-looking. Um, thought about the Kangaroo, who was basically Steve Irwin, if all he did was jump around and kick people in the face. What? And his origin, his origin was that he saw kangaroos jumping and watched them until he could duplicate what they do. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> You're right. He, he didn't actually Brilliant. have any mutant power or anything. Right. But I eventually went with one. This one may be a bit controversial, but I went with Mysterio, who I have always huh. hated that character. He's one of those guys that I just, you know, I, I don't understand why he continued past his original appearance in the, in the Ditko stuff, because... I don't Didn't, like his look. I don't like his stupid gimmick. I, he just—I don't think I've ever read a good Mysterio. I think Kevin. I seem to remember Kevin Smith writing a Mysterio story that was yeah, and Daredevil, good. where he killed himself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then they immediately brought him back, and I was like, "Come on, really?" Well, they mean, brought back a different Mysterio. Yeah, but still, I mean, they finally had a good story. You know, it's the same way with uh, with Craven the Hunter. The best story he ever had was the one where he kills himself. And then they immediately bring him right back again. It was oh. like, on really? No, they didn't. They they had two of his sons took the name, and there was Soul of the Hunter. No, no, which I mean was Mysterio his brought him right. Oh, back. I thought you were talking about Craven. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, didn't they just bring Craven back very recently? Yes, they did. They just yeah. brought Craven and <laughs> Mysterio back. So, but it wasn't like right away. Was right, my point. right? And Scott. Uh, you know, you, you brought up Mysterio as the Spider-Man guy. I thought about him, and obviously I went to Hammerhead already. But uh, what about the Vulture? I mean, here's, here's a geriatric yeah. wearing green Long Johns who has no real superpower. But he was funky. He was kind of interesting in a funky Steve Ditko-drawn way, you know? There was something just neat-looking about him. But, yeah, the idea yeah. of him was stupid, but <laughs> yeah. exactly not like the Can Crusher, though. No, but well, how, yeah, how did I mean, he ever fight Spider-Man? Yeah, I remember seeing a lot of stories where Spider-Man would be on his back, <laughs> just just smacking the hell out of him. And yeah. Spider-Man, I mean, Spider-Man's a tough guy. I mean, here's a guy that can throw cars around and stuff, and he's you know like decking an an 80 year old man in the face. So yeah, ex exactly. How did the Vulture you know stand up to that punishment? Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I didn't think of him, but he would have been a good choice too. I think. Um. Number two, I went with Batman. And uh, seriously considered, I'm sorry, Mike, but I seriously considered both the Penguin and the Joker. But I finally decided that uh, lamest-ass Batman villain I could think of off the top of my head, the Ten-Eyed Man. 
Yeah, I was about to this say. This guy sucked ass. His whole... His, I'm not making this shit up. I his whole superpowers was he had ten eyes? Yeah, well, his superpower was that some doctor fucked up an operation on him and, and gave him some it, extra eyes well, by no, mistake. He, he hooked up his optic nerves to his fingertips, so now he uses his fingertips to see and has ten eyes. Oh. So Batman frequently oh. would defeat him by like tossing him like a volleyball or something, and when he would catch it with his hands, he'd go, "Ah, my eyes!" <laughs> That's just stupid. Yes, it is. And he not recently made an appearance in Brave and the Bold. Oh my God. Uh, it was like a Batmite episode, and he was in it. Yep. Okay, just the fact that it has Batmite and the Ten-Eyed Man it makes me really... Uh, it kind of makes me feel vindicated that I stopped watching Brave and the Bold a long time ago. Um, and number one, of course, I had to go with Superman, and this was a no-brainer. I don't even have any alternates for this one. This one was the, the first uh, name that popped into my head when this sub, uh, subject came up of the lamest-ass villains ever, Mr. Mix's Spitlick. I, I knew it was that was coming for some That reason. character. Damn it. I, as soon as you said popped into your head, too, I uh, picture yep. him popping up. I, uh, you know, I, I everybody knows that I love John Byrne's Superman. I love it, love it, love it. But if there's one misstep that I feel Byrne made in his run was bringing back this character. I just, he was better left in the pre-crisis era. I barely tolerated him there, but having him back in the, the quote-unquote more realistic burn era Superman, just, it's such an ill fit to me. I, I've never liked it. I never could stand it. And really the only story I've ever truly liked uh, in recent times with that character is where Superboy Prime beat the living shit out of him. That was the only one I liked because I just can't stand that goddamn character. I mean, I like the original story with him where he was the little, like, kind of Elmer Fudd-looking dude way, way, way back in the Golden Age. That was a, a simple, silly little story that kind of worked, but how he has survived past that story for all these years... When every single uh, mixes Spitlick story is exactly the same story, I just don't get it. I, I don't understand the appeal and why people like this character. And then to make it worse, when they put him in animated form, who do they have voice him? Gilbert Godfrey, one of the most oh, God. fucking people on the face of the planet. So you've got a, a character that sucks voiced by a person that sucks. It's like, <laughs> how does this keep coming up? I, I just, ugh, I wish they'd stop using this guy. He needs to just <laughs> pop back to the the fifth dimension and never come back again. And that's my top five. <laughs> nice. Jeez. <laughs> so for next time, we have a bit of a challenge here. And I'm not sure, personally, I don't know that I'm up for this challenge. I'm going to leave it to you guys. We, we'll we have out. a submission by Dan North that we can go with. And this one is... Your top five favorite comic stories ever. I oh, just, God. Ooh. Yeah, see, I don't know about that. So, depending on how that goes, I'm going to give us a backup, which was the next submission, which was uh, by Tom Panarese. He wants to know our top five speed bumps in an otherwise great run, which I, I think that's a good one. See, the first one would be easier for me. Really? Than the second one. Oh, yeah. Wow. All right, oh, yeah. well, I'll try to take that challenge, but yeah, that's that's going to be a tough one. 
That's going to be really hard. Well, you'll have a month to think about it. Well, I think that wraps up. If you so up, choose. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll accept that mission, I guess. Okay, so that's the one where. So I'll circle that one as the one we're doing next month, and cool. it'll give me a chance to dig through, an uh, excuse to dig through my old comics. <laughs> well, that search my soul to my favorite segment of the show, which is get, get Chris, Chris to read a goddamn superhero comic. Comic. I do read them too. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> This month I have read the original Savage Dragon miniseries. It is about a cop with amnesia who is green and has a fin on his head. He is found in a burning empty lot and the cops want to recruit him because he's a badass because he sleeps in a raging inferno in a burning lot. This is in Chicago, which is apparently some Frank Miller-esque supervillain dystopia run by mutated bad guys who are quickly wiping out the good superheroes. Of course, Savage Dragon Guy doesn't want to be a cop until he stops some bad guys and his police friend's cousin gets blowed up real good. He fights a lot of other supervillains who I think are supposed to be parodies, but I don't know who the hell they're making fun of. Then, a sort of robo-Captain America shows up, he was a superhero who got all fucked up Anakin style, and now he's back to kill supervillains, and of course the dragon beats him up. Did I mention that every single woman in this story is trying to get in the dragon's pants, even though he kind of looks more like a fish than a dragon? Then we find out all the supervillains want to whoop him. Big surprise. After a big fight, he goes into a coma, but when he wakes up in time to fight a rock guy, who's just seeing if he is tough enough to join their superhero club. He is, but then he arrests the rock guy. Then we see some old Aunt May lady, and she recognizes the dragon as some skinny punk guy with a green mohawk named Rodney. Then, just in time for the end of the story, the Doctor Doom parody guy is blackmailing the cop who got dragon on the force because he killed his own cousin to trick the dragon into being a cop. And that's pretty manipulative, if you ask me. Then the comic is over. The end. <laughs> so what did you think? I liked it. I had no idea what to expect. I've never read any uh, Savage Dragon. It's definitely another... It's, it definitely was another little trip back into the 90s for me. Um, I like the art. The art was like... Um, you could tell the guy was heavily into John Byrne and Frank Miller. You know, there's there, and and there was a lot of Frank Miller esque stuff to the story where I I could see. You know, I mean, obviously the 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 one guy was definitely supposed to be sort of a Doctor Doom character. I mean, the 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 dragon even flat out says at one point, you know, that's stupid. That's how they do things in Marvel comics, and uh, but. Usually that would be a strike against it, the sort of like, oh, I'm going to be like Frank Miller and have this sort of like over-the-top parody world. But I like the tone that they strike in this. It's it's not too goofy and it's not too serious. Uh, there's a lot, an, a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, sort of stereotypical comic tropes in it, but they're not played too ridiculously. They're, pre they're played kind of dry. 
so it's almost as if it's just a real sort of dumb beat up comic. But I can see... I have a feeling that this would get a lot better as you go along in it, as you read more and the story starts to uh, to expand and grow and you actually get more of a feel for the actual characters in it. Because a lot of the, these three issues were just introducing characters. Um, I thought it was kind of strange as a miniseries to sort of end like that. Were they, were they definitely like... Going into a series after that miniseries, was that the definite yes. plan? Okay, that's yeah, that, good. That was, because... that was kind of the point of the early image books is that they would all start out with a miniseries oh. and, uh, and then go into a main series. That makes a lot small. of sense. Right. Okay, that makes a lot of sense with the, with the way this... Because it was just sort of an introduction. It reminds me of like the issue zeros you see now or the like little prequel ones that they'll well, come it, out it, with. It's kind of funny you say that because Image pretty much started the Zero issue. Okay. It, it has that feel of it of like, okay, here's the origin of the story and the main storyline's going to start after this. You know, you just get a little backstory and setup in it. And uh, I thought the art was gorgeous. And I'm not usually a fan of that kind of art, but uh, definitely John, that guy draws John Byrne eyes on women. His women faces are, have those like, almond almond shaped John Byrne eyes which I don't know I find that appealing I, I enjoyed the hell out of it it was not sort of what I expected at all I expected it to be maybe a little more meta or something I don't know just from what I've heard other people talking about or, or whatever but it was I enjoyed that it was sort of a straight up read you know I don't know. I might read some more Savage Dragon. That's for sure. I, I, I liked it. Um, it didn't blow me away. I think maybe if I read it when it first came out, I would have really, really dug it. I, I had never read this before either. In fact, I'd never read any Savage Dragon before. And I kind of got the same impression Chris did, that I felt like there were references in here or parodies in here that I wasn't sure exactly what they were parodying. Yes. Uh, but, but two things in particular that I just kind of got a kick out of when I was reading it. Uh, was when the cop who recruits him says to him, help us, dragon, you're our only hope, which yes. uh, calls back to Princess Leia. And then uh, when he's quizzing him about uh, general information, and just, I, I don't know, but I got a big kick out of when he asked him who plays who played Fred Mertz. Just kind of seemed like such an obscure reference to throw in there, but he knew it was William Frawley, <laughs> but he didn't know who he was. Right. He didn't know what he had for lunch the day before, but he could answer any pop culture reference. He knew who the president was. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I thought it was well written. It did. It was. It was surprise, a surprisingly fast read. Like, it I was read very it fast. I read it through, and I thought I was kind of halfway through an issue, and meanwhile I was done. And I'm thinking, what is this issue? Eleven pages, and the issue was whatever, twenty some odd pages. Twenty nine pages. Yeah. So it, it was. But it, but there was a lot going on. It wasn't uh, you know one of those empty reads like you you know sometimes you get from like Brian Bendis or whatever where you know you read it and it's twenty pages and nothing has actually happened. And a lot went on, so I thought it was pretty cool. The the whole series because I have almost a complete collection of this from from this mini series right up through about the hundredth issue of the series, and for the first I, I'm trying to remember where the. They at one point they made a big change in the series, and I want to say that was in the seventies, I think, 
something it was like issues like 76 or 74 something like that but between like this series right up to that issue where they made the big universe sweeping change it does read pretty much like this it's a very quick read but there's so much jammed into that quick read there's a lot of little subplots some of which drag out for for quite a little while and uh it was exciting because you you learn about the character in in just little snippets, little and you, dribs and drabs. Yeah, and you and you get to learn much more about the character and just how much punishment he can take. Because that's that's what hooked me with this miniseries is you, you keep seeing this guy just take a wicked pounding and keep coming back for more, and it, it just continues to a point where. Um, you're you're seeing him constantly tested of just how much can he take you know could could he like lose a limb and continue that that sort of thing and they keep going with that and i like the story a lot but where they kind of lost me and and i haven't picked the book up since to continue my read through is uh like i say somewhere right around i think it was like issue 74 they had his universe basically turn upside down and he wound up in like this parallel earth dimension where he basically winds up in like a, like a Jack Kirby verse. And that's kind of where they lost me because what, one thing I really like about the, this series, especially this, this three issue mini series is like you say that they, they seem to be taking, or, you know, Eric Larson, the creator seems to be taking a lot of jabs at the comics medium and making a lot of references, some of which, you know, we get and some of which we don't, you know, some of the ones we don't get, I think that's only because he's not necessarily parodying a specific character so much as he's parodying like a trope of comics, like the ridiculously Mm -hmm. huge titted women and stuff like that, you know, or, or the just (laughs) completely ridiculous, uh, super villains that were thrown out there, you know, where everybody had death or blood in their name in the '90s, that sort of thing. And I right, like right. that's one of the the things I really liked most about this was that Larson not only made fun of it, but he embraced it. He he populated his villain universe with nothing but those ridiculous characters, and I liked that. And and they were just fodder for the dragon and kick their asses to come and beat the hell out of them. Yeah. Out of them. Yeah. And that goes for quite a lot of the, of the early part of this run is as he's just wading through lame ass villain after lame ass villain, working his way up to the big boss battle. And, and I like that a lot. And some of the villains that Larson came up with were so, uh, unique. And some of them are just downright, uh, you know, ingenious, and some of them are, are just so completely ridiculous that they're ingenious. Like there was one guy, I think his name is Dung, where he was just this little squat-looking guy that was basically wearing a, a, an outfit that looked a lot like. Uh, oh, there's this one um, Fantastic Four villain that I think I want to say Burn invented him. I know Burn used him anywhere where he was this giant that was in like this suit of armor terminus terminus yes and dung had a had an outfit that looked a lot like terminus and his superpower was that he could pull shit from an alternate dimension and project it at the dragon so there's a part where he actually 
is going to drown the dragon in shit. And it was just like such a ridiculous and disgusting. Comic. You know, but he, he might have been making fun of a Chester Brown comic that was an underground comic at the same time who had a character whose whose um, ass was a portal into another dimension where they had a sewage problem. So they were trying to pump all their sewage into another dimension. So it was all coming out of this guy's ass. So he just started crapping and he couldn't stop. And it was like, you know, like filled his house up and, you know, out into the street and stuff. So maybe he was paying tribute to that. It could very well be. How many references from of shit from another dimension? <laughs> right. Possibly be. <laughs> But uh, I would say, you know, if, if you were intrigued by this, if you got a kick out of it or whatever, I would say continue on for, say, a, at least like the next dozen issues or, you know, the first dozen issues of the ongoing series. I, I think you would like it a lot because it is a lot of fun. And uh, one of the things I liked about it was that, you know, this being an image book, he, he wasn't restricted as far as uh, violence or language or, or even, uh, you know, some some mild nudity. In uh, in some of the issues of the ongoing series, and uh, I I liked it a lot. I thought it was, and, and you see God giving you the finger. So yes, yeah. There's there's some really good stuff. We get uh, well doesn't he? Doesn't Santa Claus in there at one point too? I think I think so. Yeah, but I know yeah he does uh, he does meet God at some point, which was pretty cool. So uh, yeah, check, I would say check it out further than this because I I thought it was a yeah. really good series up to the point where. Uh, where they did that that Kirby thing? Where they went to Kirby Land. Yeah, and I um, I've never read the ongoing, but I love the hell out of this miniseries mainly because, you know, it, 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 if your dream in life is to draw a comic book where a bunch of big guys beat the shit out of each other, and you do that, and you're happy with it, then that's really all that needs to be said. These books. It is what it is. It, it succeeds. Yep. <laughs> yep. It succeeds I, at that goal for sure. And that's the great thing about it is it's it's just a big dumb fun comic. And yeah, the story got a little more complicated, but that initial miniseries was really like, look at me, I'm Savage Dragon, I'm huge, I'm Overlord. Yeah, I don't know who I am, but I'll beat the hell out of you. Who are you? And, I'll pound you. Yep, and like a lot of the early image books, they had crossovers with each other because they wanted to establish very early that the image universe was a universe that was shared. So you had Bad Rock, whose original name was Bedrock, but they had to change that for uh, copyright reasons. Uh, Bad Rock shows up and they pound the hell out of each other. In fact, Savage Dragon was really the only character that was still used in Rob Liefeld books after he left Image because he appeared in the three-issue Judgment Day miniseries uh, that they did to kind of reboot uh, the extreme, maximum, awesome, whatever universes. But I love this series. I, I, I think it's a lot of fun. I was very excited to uh, when I first read it that I liked it as much as I did. It's... Uh, it's probably my favorite in terms of just pure enjoyment out of the initial image books. I, I still say Spawn 
uh, with all of its writing problems, was still a very, very solid series. But both Spawn and Savage Dragon were heads and tails above books like Wildcats and Stormwatch and uh, Youngblood. So, yeah, if, if you guys can, pick it up. They've got a couple omnibuses out there of the Savage Dragon stuff that are pretty inexpensive. So I would say check it out. One, um, one, other, one other big thing that I think this series really has working for it was that um, it was Eric Larson's brainchild but also i mean this was like his life life's long ambition was to draw this title and he kept creative control over it you know all the way through its run so it was his vision from start to finish and i think that that lends a lot to it you know that, that always that, helps yeah. yeah when somebody has an idea and they know what they want to do with it it's 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 nice when they're able to do it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't like a committee thing of where, like, we got to get a comic together. You know, right. we'll throw a team together and see what we come up with. Yeah, this is That's something. Cool. He it had, had the feel of that. Yeah. Yeah, this was something he had actually created when he was a kid and had been, uh, you know, kind of germinating in his mind all these years. Mm -hmm. And so he knew exactly who the character was and, and oh, where yeah, he priority written stories and stuff. Yeah, and, yeah he and, had. Yeah, yeah. So that was it. Was really neat to see, and he, you know, he lays a lot of that story out, you know, in the in the subsequent issues, you know, in the in the back of the book, at the letters pages and such, and kind of tells the the origin story of, you know, where the character came from in his own mind and everything. It was it was really interesting, and this is one of those series, you know, much like say Walking Dead today, where the letters pages are a lot of fun to read because he he's very personal with the readers. Uh -huh. and, uh, you know, with, with his feedback and stuff like that. And I like reading that stuff, too, because uh, Larson, he's, he's a very interesting personality. And then some of the controversies that uh, that came along later, his little wars with uh, with different comics people and stuff were a lot of fun to learn about, too. I love that stuff. That's so nice. uh, flavor and color. So what do we got for next time? I think it's Mike's choice this time. What do you got, Mike? Ooh, that's right. Ooh, um, there've been there've been a I, lot I, of people throwing out suggestions. So we're, well, yeah. what, what what kind of suggestions were were, were thrown out? Do you, do you hey, know well, all? you know, well, I know, you know. On, on the forum, I know that uh, one of the first ones I saw on there was uh, was Batman Year One. Um, I forget who that it was that threw it out there. See that would be cool because then we could talk. We could watch the movie and talk about that as well. Yeah, I haven't. There was seen a movie that made of Batman Year One. Yeah, yeah an animated just... film that just got released. Now yeah. that was is this that was that the Dave Mazzicelli or yeah the the Miller Mazzicelli. Mazzicelli. Yeah, I actually I may actually I don't know if I own it anymore, but I've I have definitely definitely read that. But um. You know, I'm, I'm now. I'm trying to think of. Um, I just got that big care package, and I got a bunch of comics in that. Some of which were to, um, you know, go towards. Um, those those were from uh, Alan Leach. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I know he sent me. Uh, and I and I, I don't think I've uh, done the shout out to, about these ones yet. But I got a a hardcover called Planetary. Uh, yeah, that's the one I want you to read. 
Um, there was the first um, Starman raid. Are two of the ones that were definitely in the. Okay, so pla- so planetary is the one you want me to read. I'll read that one. Yeah. Excellent. What a coincidence that Alan Leach happened to send it to me. <laughs> that you chose it right. No, I, I I really want your opinion on it. That's probably that's probably you probably had mentioned it at some point. That's probably why I you sent it did. to me. I, I remember us talking about it. Cool. I'm I'm looking forward to that because I I sort of was paging through it and it looked really neat. Well, the last thing I want to mention for this episode is uh, you can hear more of our guest, uh, Paul Spataro. He was on a couple episodes of uh, Bob Retall's uh, Comic Book Page uh, podcast. You can find that at uh, Comic Book Page, all one word, comicbookpage.com. And these were episodes, these were the Back Issue Spotlight episodes. Episodes 25 and 28 were... Uh, 25 covered the Avengers Defenders War, and 28 covered the uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Those were both really fantastic episodes, and I liked them a lot. And it surprised me with the second one with the Guardians of the Galaxy because I remember when you when you messaged me about that one, Paul, and you were like, "Hey, you got to give this a listen." And uh, I went and I hunted up the episode not knowing what it was going to be about. And I saw it was the Guardians of the Galaxy. And I was like, oh, God, because I really don't like those guys. But it turned out to be a really interesting episode because I learned a lot about the characters that I literally had no clue. So uh, I highly recommend both those episodes. They were very, very good. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) But I I, I remember you came back to me before you listened to it and said... uh, don't get my hopes too high because you hate the Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> yeah, I think I, yeah, I think I did say that, but yeah, I ended up really liking the episode a lot because uh, I, I don't know that uh, I'd ever heard before that uh, Gene Colan had a hand in in their earliest stories, and uh, so I was interested in that. But it, it actually, I, I like stuff like that. It's one of the reasons I, I used to like uh, Back Issue Magazine is I, I like when people can take things that I'm not aware of or, or don't really have any interest in and tell the history of it and, and present it in an interesting light, you know, to where it, it, it adds a little bit more to it and uh, shades it in for me and, you know, kind of, and I kind of learned something from it and that's how I was with the, with that particular episode. The, the Avengers Defenders War was a lot of fun too because I'd actually read that story not before I uh, I listened to that episode, and I enjoyed that quite a bit because that was a really good story. I didn't realize um, what a you know what a piece of history that story was as as one of the earliest crossovers. So I liked that quite a bit too. I thought that was a really good episode. Yeah, those were a lot of fun to do, and uh, I share your uh, enjoyment of Back Issue magazine. In fact, I have a friend who wrote an article for them once. Have you heard of him? Uh, a guy named Mike Bailey. <laughs> He's a dick. <laughs> Only because I turned you down. <laughs> well, Paul, it was a blast having you, and we yes. have to have you on again because I cannot finally had you on the show. Yes, that it has taken us this long to have you on the show, so we definitely got to. Uh, well, I'll admit, I'm the one that's been holding everything up. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's okay. I, I appreciate you having me on. I had a lot of fun doing it. And uh, anytime you're interested in the future, believe me, I'd love to come back. Especially as long as you're doing all the work to edit it, Scott. <laughs> you know, this kind of sounds like an Art Bell show right here at the end with all the static. That's probably me again. 
No, right. I was I was doing that to get uh, Scott to play the uh, like the type of music you would hear. Dum, 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 oh, dum, I can dum, do that. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Hey everyone. Faithful friend and acolyte of the two true freaks and gallant co-host of the Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Hair Metal Hero here. Are you like me? Well, obviously you aren't as awesome as me in my mellifluous singing voice, but that's forgivable. Moving on, do you like to attend cons? Of course you do. I mean, I don't. But that's only because if I want to be seriously depressed and grossed out, I just stand naked in front of a full-length mirror. Ladies, call me. But if you do attend cons, you know what the biggest downside is? No, it's not the registration line, or the mobs of people, or the insane markup on bootlegs of the Star Wars Holiday Special. It's the dreaded con funk. Yeah, that's right. It's that one-of-a-kind pungent aroma that smells like stale piss, rotten Doritos, and days upon days of mouth-breathing, eyeball-licking, basement-dwelling nerd B.O. Well, I'm here to tell you that help is on the way from none other than all the hard-working scientists here at DeManzo Corp Advanced Olfactory Labs, deep below the bowels of Milan, Italy. Dufo has graciously provided a sizable grant for scent research in the brave hope that one day he can finally attend a big show, incognito of course, without having to continuously retch and gasp. And let me tell you folks, this shit works. What is it you ask? Why it's none other than Con Funk Soap. Yes, that's right. 
Pecan Funk Soap contains copious amounts of bleach, rose petal extract, and the dried up essence of the tears of the unborn. That's where the power lies. It's guaranteed to make the average congoer who smells like a flowering anus go from repugnant to tolerable. Just slather it on and let it soak in, rinse, and repeat. Don't forget to get your grundles and fupas some extra attention. Hey, no one is saying don't attend the cons, but now you don't have to smell like you do. That's Confunk Soap, another fine product from Demonzacorp. Confunk Soap, it's the least you can do. Demonzacorp of Milan, Italy takes no legal responsibility for allergic reaction to baby tears. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com, Two True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling, and it really helps us out. So please, Use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> mine are mine are mine are some lame, lame ones. <laughs> that could be fun. One's called Blowhard. <laughs> <laughs> See if you guys can figure out where they came. They all come from a common source. Blowhard, the mouse, the tickler. I'm not going to name the other one because that might be a dead And the abominable snowman. No, it's not from the tick. It sounds like it's from a porno. No. (laughs) That's a good idea. (laughs) I just want to say, Michael, every time we, we, we talk, you have a different picture on the... And this one's just sort of a, but it's weird with, um, I, I like your spiffy new microphone, by the way. That, oh, thank you. It's good sitting there. But the way your mirror is behind you, it makes you look like you have a yarmulke on your head. <laughs> so you look like a nice, like a nice young, like Jewish boy, like, you know, of course he's Jewish. just back from, back from temple with his, with his yarmulke on, but it's oh. really just sort of the light on the mirror behind you. Now I got to find that pick- clip from Superman two going. What a nice man. Of course he's Jewish. Uh, the, the, my, my current Skype picture is how Superman. I am most evenings and mornings before and after work editing. Uh, if, if I could, I would replace me with a skeleton uh, to show what a dried out hunk of humanity I have become. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, well, I have is a question walk by you, Mike, uh, I guess because... We, we haven't, haven't shared. We haven't shared details yet, which uh, sounds ooh. vaguely. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Makes me think so, I gotta take my a decision. back from everybody. Yeah, else. there's a decision to make. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Choose which details to share. Well. 
<laughs> when you share with Mike Bailey. But yeah, I've I've been waiting to see see one of those those microphones. I love them. They're all nice old. They got a nice old timey look to them, with yeah. a sort of futury retroy old timey look. I like them. Every every once in a while, I do want to kind of uh, grab it and and like hold it like an old timey '40s microphone and start singing <laughs> like Frank Sinatra songs. <laughs> doobie doobie doo. But apparently, me singing is detrimental to some people listening to the podcast. God damn. Well, you so. need to, no, you you need to do your podcast with like a a, a white you know button down shirt with a tie, but all like the tie loosened <laughs> and rumpled, and a cigarette <laughs> clutched between your fingers with an ashtray with about six thousand butted Boom. up cigarettes in it. Just going, Jesus Christ! Listen to this, blah 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 blah, stumping out a cigarette. <laughs> That's what I see whenever I see those old those old microphones. Or maybe I could be like um what's or hot from Good Eddie Night Girls. Good yeah, exactly. Edward uh, R. Edward R. Murrow. <laughs> You'll be the Edward R. Murrow of comic book podcasting. Is you he already? Your sign well, you have to come up with some sort of sign off catchphrase. That none of us are coming up with any good catchphrases. You know, to I, I don't yeah, know. Just, yeah, fuck the bunchy. It just doesn't work. You know what I mean? <laughs> it does. It does. But you got to work it into. Well, okay, okay, Scott. That's your catchphrase from now on. <laughs> but we're gonna work it into. We'll, we'll 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 work on it. We'll chew on it here, and we'll come How about up. With fuck good, if they can't take a joke. How that's a that? good one. That's that's a good one too. But. You see, I, I, I like Scott's. Uh, we'll just have to couple it with a little laugh track every time you say it, you know. <laughs> and and if you say, you know. Dynamite, is that what you're suggesting? Yeah, you know. <laughs> like it's oh, the one part oh, man. everyone's waiting for. And here I've, I've actually been trying not to use that word in podcasting here lately, too, and I just uh, I just blew it. <laughs> yeah, you were really good on The Last Tales, except I, for one time. I know <laughs> like, it. it. It finally, it, it was like building within you, like, you know, Lou, uh, Bill Bixby about to turn into Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> Mine's going to be like, oh, I think I pooped my pants again. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, cheers, and then, you know. And then, like, 20 years from now, when I go on somebody's podcast, I have to go, oh, I think I pooped my pants again. And they're going, hey, you said it. And, I'm <laughs> and you're going to die for inside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One more little piece of my soul will crumble and dry up and fall off. I think you need the very <laughs> can-sounding laughter after you say it. Exactly. Exactly, yes. <laughs> what would my catchphrase be? I won't be fuck DC anymore, though. It would have been a couple years ago. Um, <laughs> that would have been funny. Is that your dog or your stomach? That is my dog. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I had to move her, and she got into a position where you can hear her snoring, but I'll take it's, care of that. I like it, man. I like it. <laughs> it's comforting to me. It sounds like he's squeaking way. one out is what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's... Uh, one cheap sneak. Wanna... Yep, Exactly. <laughs> You could do that now without muting your microphone. Yeah, the microphone Who's gonna know? Is, the microphone is not that good. Um, <laughs> though apparently Scott says every once in a while. So. Scott's well, I don't know if it's Scott's microphone or just the sheer power of <laughs> you know Scott's diet and his you know the 
the the big like grain digester that you call a stomach that you know <laughs> pour some Popeyes in it and it just starts you know I had belching the, out fumes. I had the window to the Scott Cave open just before we got started just to get some freaking air in here because it's about a thousand degrees in this room. I'm sitting here, we're getting ready and everything, and I ripped one, and I got to thinking, oh, shit, the window's open. I hope, like, nobody was walking in front of the house just now to be like, damn. The neighbor's begonias are, like, curling up and dying. All of a sudden, the cops are pounding on the door. We hear you have a dead body in there. (laughs) Exactly. The the neighbors reported a a suspicious odor coming from your house, and... uh, well, it wasn't so much that I was worried about. It was the sound. It went off like a gunshot. It was like, holy Christ. <laughs> oh, lovely. Did you blow an O-ring? I mean, oh. what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> the human space shuttle. Yeah, we'll just call him the Challenger. Oh, Ooh. don't get me started on that, because I was just thinking the other day how... Uh, there was it was a couple probably a couple months ago now we were uh, we were laying in bed one morning my wife and I oh and no the, and the house just rattled I mean it was like a, there was an explosion down the block or something she like jumps up she's like what was that what was that and I was like it's the space shuttle because it was when the sh- one of the shuttles had come back you know and when they when they break the sonic barrier here I mean it does it sounds like something blew up down at the end of the street you know and for some odd reason I was thinking about that just just very recently, like within the last day or two and how, you know, it's not going to happen anymore. It just got, kind of got me all, all melancholy, you know, yeah, that so, sucks. Yeah. So don't I talk about this. <laughs> no, I almost clicked answer with video. <laughs> I think that did it. I, I don't think it was, maybe it's not your connection. It might've just been the Skype connection. Well, in that case, I was beating oh, the shit that's out of my perfect. Connection. Oh yeah, no, that's you're, you're, you're yeah, right. Yeah, that's you're right. Isabel. You're, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. great. Because because sometimes the Skype connections, it seems like when you talk for a couple hours, sometimes people's yeah, Skype yeah. connections will get will get fucky. Yep. But now you're back to you're back to crystal clarity. I don't Live know if that's or memorized. Good thing or a bad thing, but uh, I'll go with it. <laughs> what were we talking about? We're, we're, uh, we're, I was gonna go. I was going the, on and on about something. I don't know. I had one more book to mention. <laughs> I'm just Assholes. teasing, man. I'm just assholes. 